Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. Yuck! Today's the day, isn't it? Joe Ingles today? Yeah, it's Joe Ingles' show. Stay tuned. We'll get the uh, time for him, and I will uh, tweet that out. He usually likes to come on between like 8.30 and 8.45. So uh, look forward to that later this morning. He also doesn't like to come on on game days, so... It won't. I don't think it'll be Friday this week. With an afternoon game, I would be stunned. So, all right, we've got some uh, football for you this morning. We got some college football. We got some pro football. We got some Utah Jazz. We got a little mix here to get things going. Uh, we're going to start with the guy who looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback at the University of Utah, Charlie Brewer, coming in. Not coming off a particularly good year last year, uh, but two years ago, 21 touchdowns, only seven picks, threw for a bunch of yards, and Baylor went to the Sugar Bowl. Then they had a coaching change, then they had COVID issues, and it all went horribly wrong, and they went 2-7, and and he decided to transfer. And uh, as you'll hear him say here, Utah is on his radar because Utah's been good. You know, it's, it's one thing to win. You always want to win, obviously. Uh, but then can you build off that success? And he was recounting a couple of years ago how he has his eye on Utah because they were both climbing and looked like they could be competing for the last spot in the college football playoff. Now, ultimately, they both got beat and neither one made it. Uh, but nonetheless, it put Utah on his radar. So here is Charlie Brewer. And this guy is uh, football royalty coming out of Texas. He was a star quarterback at Baylor. His dad quarterback, the Texas Longhorns, so uh, football and quarterbacking run in the family. Here, here's Charlie Burr with the media on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Um, we've heard glowing reports from your coaches and teammates uh, about your assimilation into the program this spring. I'd be curious, some self-evaluation here and how you feel you've made the transition and a month in with the spring game Saturday, how it's all gone for you. I, th- I think it's been, you know, a lot of people around me, um, coaches, teammates, have made it a really, really smooth transition for me. Um, you know, I think collectively as a group, I think, you know, especially on offense, we've uh, gotten better each practice, which is, uh, you know, kind of what you hope for, um, just to, you know, improve every day. And, you know, I think we've done that as a as a whole. And... You know, like I said, for me personally, I, I feel like it's been a smooth transition where it's allowed me to just go out and play. Stylistically, do you still feel like you fit well in Andy's offense? Absolutely. I think, you know, he. a lot of the stuff we've been doing this spring has been, been really good stuff. And, you know, it's, you know, we've made a lot of explosive plays and stuff like that. So it's been great so far. Next question will come from Trevor Allen with KSL Sports, followed by Josh Furlong with KSL.com. Charlie, I know that one of the the big things whenever you're you're making a move, especially after a few years at Baylor, is getting is getting that that chemistry with your wideouts. How how has that been throughout spring ball, getting used to guys like Britton Covey, Solomon Enos, Devon Vele, and others? It's been good. You know, I think it's improved, you know, day by day, day by day, week by week. Um you know, on our own, we, we would throw um, during winter conditioning in the off season. So got a head start there. But, um, you know, throughout spring, I think it's improved every day. So it's been really good. Those guys have made a lot of plays. 
And then to follow up, I know that the old line is another thing that is 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 a big change for you. How how have they been uh, doing during during spring ball? And and do you feel like that this is a very good group? Yeah, I think it's a great group. I think um, you know those guys have played really well all spring, gotten better each practice, and um, you know led by Nick. I think you know those guys you know play really hard and. Um, a great unit. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Sammy Mora. Yeah, Nick came in here just a little bit ago and said that uh, one of the reasons he came back was this team feels kind of similar to that 2018 team, which was one that uh, obviously, you know, was contending for the playoffs. You know, I'm, I'm sure when you were at Baylor, you guys were looking at Utah a little bit, knowing that you guys were in a very similar situation and you were able to do, you know, well there. What What can you kind of, um, get from that season specifically since 2019 was cut short with COVID and everything, but what can you get from that? And how do you feel like you can kind of assimilate back to the 2018 season for you and Utah? Yeah, I, I do remember. Um, I think Utah was like five, we were six or something like that. Um, but I, you know, I think just a season where you have a lot of success, um, you know, a lot of things go into that. You know, you got you got to play well week to week. You can't you can't slip up. Um, you know, and I think when you have an older group of guys that have played a lot of football, that that makes it easier. It makes it easier to you know make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so I think you know I think we got the guys to do it. Um, you know, it's just now it's just about the little things that go into it, and I definitely see you know the potential. Next question is from Sammy Mora. Hey, Charlie. Um, I was just curious where, like, what you see in this Utah program um, comparison to the Sugar Bowl team that you were a part of at Baylor. You know, I, I mean, every place is, has its own ways a little bit. It's each place is, you know, different. Um, but I, but there are, you know, a lot of similarities, I feel, um, not completely the same, but I, I see a lot of similarities. You know, there's, you know, a lot of talent on this team. Um, I will say that there's a ton of talent on, on this team. And, um, you know, I always said that uh, Coach Whittingham has his similarities to Coach Rule. Um, so I guess that's a similarity in that way. Next question, I'll go to Josh Furlong, followed by Bill Riley. Hey, Charlie, Kyle hasn't been shy about, you know, praising you in this spring and, and kind of talking about your talent. Uh, obviously, you know, in fall, you'll be able to compete, you know, a little bit more in a serious nature in the sense that you guys will have an actual starter named with maybe Cam Rising now in the mix. How do you feel like, you know, you can still keep that competitive edge while knowing that Cam was named the starter last year and, and is now, you know, in essence, essentially that guy until you can kind of beat him out. What, what do you feel like that relationship can be like? And how do you feel like you can, you can balance that? I mean, I, I think, you know, competition is great. I think it's, you know, the making of a, a great football team. Um, the more competition you have, um, I think the better. So, you know, I think, you know, Cam's a great guy. Um, we get along very well off the field. Um, so I think the balance is already there of, you know, competition and when to not, when to not 
compete and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, you know, I understand the situation. He understands the situation and, you know, and it's just, you know, competition. Final question for Charlie. I'll come from Bill Riley. Charlie, I talked to a number of people that, that were around you at Baylor and around, around you in the Big 12, too, and everybody talked about a different trait you had as quarterback, but I think the common denominator with everybody was your competitive streak. Everybody talked about your competitive streak. I'd just be curious, wh where did that, you know, refuse to lose kind of competitive streak that everybody talks about come from? Um. That's a good question. Um, I just, I think just growing up, I loved competing in sports, you know, from a young age, whether it's, you know, watching my older brother, you know, something like that. I just always enjoyed competing. And, you know, I guess it, once I got in high school, I felt, you know, I was under recruited and then, um, then it kind of shifted, uh, you know, well, I'm going to go prove them wrong and, you know, compete my butt off and um, just always had a c competitive nature about me and always, you know, enjoyed competing. There's Utah quarterback Charlie Brewer with the media, and they've got their spring game on Saturday, and I would expect it to be quite vanilla, and several guys will be held out of it because you don't want them to get hurt, and I think he would be right up there on that list. All right, we're going to have some pro football later this hour. Thor Nystrom's going to join us, lead college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. you hear his take on the NFL draft. Quarterback heavy at the top. I think there's a couple of big stars at the top of the draft who aren't quarterbacks, and apparently they're going to slide because they're not quarterbacks. Man, that is going to be a big win for somebody who's in the top 10, but not in the top five, I think. We'll talk to him about that. Coming up next, though, Eric Walden. Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, it is time now to welcome in uh, Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. We had him on the show later in yesterday's show, wanted to replay it for you. We're into the final quarter of the season here. And I think the standings, I, I expect the Jazz are going to be the one seed and the Suns are going to be the two. Um, now, we've seen when it gets close, there can be a dumping of games down the stretch. And the Jazz tried to negotiate that last year. There was a thing with Denver and Portland a couple of years ago. People trying to get to one side of the bracket or the other to avoid somebody. It looks to me like the Lakers are going to finish uh, in that 4-5 slot and be in that series, which makes them a second-round opponent for whoever is number one. I'm not sure anyone's going to embrace that. But Phoenix has got a difficult schedule down the stretch. Not only do they play good teams, they play some good teams, but they play 12 of the last 16 on the road, and they still have a bunch of back-to-backs. I think the Jazz are going to end up being the, the top seed. They've got a, a couple days off here, which I think is good. It'll be three days off 
for uh, the three guys who didn't play Tuesday night. Uh, and as we talked to Eric, because we had him on yesterday, he's going to reference last night's game. But he's talking about the Tuesday night win over Oklahoma City with Joe Ingles out and Royce O'Neal out and Jordan Clarkson out. Combination of rest and small injuries. And, you know, I think the combination is good. I think these two days are, are good for the guys like Bogey and Donovan Mitchell and, uh, and Rudy who aren't getting time off. Because they get another back-to-back this weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday. Both afternoon games, Friday at home with the Pacers and then Saturday at the Lakers. All right, so here's Eric Walden, his take on the uh, the stretch run in the playoffs on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz are 55 games deep in the season. My math skills tell me there's 17 games left. They're into the final quarter of the season. And I'm curious, as a beat writer who watches all the games, is on so many Zoom calls I can't even count, is there anything you still need to know and learn about this team or would it be okay with you if the playoffs started next week? Oh, you know... I think honestly we we kind of know about this team. Um, that said, like ideally, you know, they do have 17 games to kind of, you know, hopefully figure out a few problem areas. But I guess the question becomes, you know, after they've played 55, do you think that 17 more are going to, you know, be what it takes to kind of fix the transition defense issues? You know. Um, are those extra 17 games going to be enough to do something about, you know, the occasional ball-stopping issues that we've seen that, that you know, the first 55 haven't taken care of? Um, I guess theoretically it's possible, and that's the reason why you play 72 instead of 55 this year. But, um, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that, like, we're going to see major shifts in those areas over this next little bit. So 41 and 14, obviously first in the West and all that stuff, first in the league, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But when you hear the knock on this team, well, there isn't a history as far as, you know, with uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They've got a history of winning a title and all that. So, and Kawhi Leonard has done the same over there for the Clippers with other teams. What about their history, if anything, gives you cause for concern, or do you think they've gotten past that, and this is about now, not about relying or base any opinion on history? You know, I mean, for all the times we've heard that, you know, this this team doesn't have a quote-unquote elite guy, I think, you know, Donovan Mitchell is is on a sufficient tear, you know, prior to, to what he did in the Thunder game that we could probably kind of discount that, you know. He's going to be their main guy when the going gets tough, when they need a basket. Um, now the question is, you know, people are inevitably going to ask, can he pull it off at the same level that, you know, O'Bron James can or that uh, James Harden or Kevin Durant can? Um, and, and these are valid questions. You know, I mean, the, the nagging question with this team is, can they get it done in the playoffs? And, you know, the obvious answer is, well, until we see it, we don't know. But, um, you know, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Bogey. We're starting to see him be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, We're starting to see him consistently kind of find alternate ways to score, even when his first two or three jump shots are not necessarily dropping. Um, They've got an abundance of options, which is a good thing. And, you know, again, it's going to come down to would you rather have two megastars or would you rather have – Four guys who are, you know, on that next tier or two down. 
And, I mean, this is what we're left with. The Jazz are not in a position to, to land those megastars. And so we we see them make do with this. And, um, you know, as for whether that's enough, I think, I think we're seeing Don take another step this year. Um, but, again, it's going to come down to can he do it in the playoffs when the pace slows, when the refs swallow their whistles a little bit more, when the physicality ratchets up, um, you know, is, is he going to be able to pull it off in that, in that kind of situation? I'm struggling to come up with stars who have won it all. Duncan, Magic are the two who come to mind, who have won it all without having ever played in a conference final or an NBA final. Usually you have to get deep in the playoffs, lose, learn from it, and come back. Shaq and Kobe had to lose a conference final to the Jazz before they won it all. Jordan lost a couple conference finals to the Pistons before he won it all. And you can go on down the list, all these players. How much does it concern you that this team uh, has gone out in the first round the last two years? And Mike Conley's been to a conference final, but I don't think anybody else has. Yeah, you're right about that. Mike Conley's the only one on this roster who's made it that far. And there's a lot to that. You know, we we come from an era of, of basketball where, yeah, uh, at first it was Larry Bird and, and Isaiah Thomas had to lose to him a few times in order to make it with the Pistons. And then Michael Jordan and the Bulls had to lose to them a few times. And, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to it, right, where – going through those fires, going through kind of um, the test of it, you know, seeing what it takes on that next level to kind of elevate your game and and take that next step. There's something to it. Um, Now you can argue that the Jazz having lost, you know, in the first round the last two years and the second round the year before that, they've gotten a little bit of a taste of it. I don't know that, you know, the, the journey needs to necessarily inherently include a stop in the conference finals. You know, it, it might be that this group with having everyone healthy and everyone ready to go, having Boyan Bogdanovich back this year and Don on another level, and if we can get Rudy performing consistently in the postseason, you know, maybe that's sufficient to make that leap. But uh, to your point, yeah, it hasn't happened a ton. I think Jordan Clarkson was on the Cleveland Cavaliers finals yep. team in right. 2018. Yep. That's, that, I forgot about JC with the Cavs, but um, I, I, I want to say that his role there was was fairly limited by the time they got to the finals, so he wasn't getting a ton of minutes. But, yeah, your, your point is correct. No, he wasn't. I'm looking at the uh, player summaries. He only played in two games. Uh, so and at 12 minutes a game, but nevertheless, just just for the sake of accuracy in my old newspaper days, Eric, I'm sure you could appreciate that. I do. I appreciate you keeping me on my toes <laughs> and keeping me honest, which you know are one of those I expect from you, if, if not necessarily the latter. So always always good to be pleasantly surprised. I'm thinking uh, we, if I'm looking for concerns. 
You know, you, you talked about individually Donovan Mitchell there, and you listed all the stuff, uh, refereeing and just the nature of the games and the playoffs. And it's all legitimate, and he does have to answer those questions, and the team has to answer the questions in the postseason because there is somewhat of a disbelief or an unbelief in this team as far as that they can do what they're doing now in the postseason. And one of those things, rather than focus individually, is collectively is the three-point shooting because the pressure ramps up literally and mentally in the playoffs as we've seen that. So how do you think the three-point shooting will be able to the, uh, succeed, I guess? How good will they be in terms of making three-pointers? Because it's clear they're going to need to make them in the postseason. Right, yeah. And, and what, a, what a time for that question, given that you know we've, we've seen the Jazz recently go through a stretch of, you know, 11 for 44 and 12 for 42. And, you know, I think they had three or four games where they, three and a half games probably we'll call it, where they really were just pretty pedestrian behind the arc. And some of that, you know, they attributed to changing defenses. You know, teams are becoming a little more committed to running them off the line and then running shots. Some of it they just attributed it to, you know, a random variance where, you know, uh, it was inevitable that there was going to be some downturn in their efficacy from beyond the arc, and it just so happened that, you know, it was those games consecutively. But, um, you know, there's a reason that people say live by the three, die by the three, right? I mean, if not for missing 27 consecutive three-pointers in a, in a conference finals game, maybe we're looking at the Houston Rockets being NBA champions one year and, and not having – had to uh, detonate that entire franchise. So there's something to it, um, especially given that, you know, we've seen Jordan Clarkson really kind of tail off in terms of three-point shooting recently. We've seen Bogey be up and down. Uh, Donovan got up to 40% and then had a few rough games there. So it's, it's a valid criticism. I guess the question is, you know, do they ultimately just – trust what got them there and and figure that um you know this is what they've been doing all year long they're on pace set an nba record for threes attempted and threes made this year so for better or worse this is their identity and and it's it's what they're rolling with eric walden joining us jazz beat writer for the salt lake tribune so there is a, a lot of emphasis on the standings, the race, get the top seed, and that all sounds good, home court advantage, especially when you get to play at elevation. Uh, but if the Lakers are sitting in that 4-5 uh, series and a potential second round or probable second round opponent, do you really want the top seed? Do you think they'll tank <laughs> games to avoid it? Is it much ado about nothing because you either get out of the West or you don't, so you don't care what round? Where do you come down? And all, all those questions, you know them all. Go ahead. Go. Yeah. A few, <laughs> a few of us B writers were actually kind of discussing this yesterday, you know, kind of trying to project how the, how the standings might work out and how the seedings might work and who might be seeing who in the second round. And here's what it comes down to. Um, they're going to be seeing a really good, really tough team in the second round, almost assuredly. Um, so I don't know that it does you a ton of good to tank, especially because uh, with the play-in tournament as it is right now, um, <laughs> their chances of getting out of the first round 
uh, as they stand are, are a lot better if they remain the number one seed and you wind up with, say, uh, Memphis or, or someone like that being your first-round opponent as opposed to you know, Dallas or Portland um, if, you, if you drop down to the tours or three seed. So, you know, they could be playing the Lakers in the second round. They could be playing the Clippers in the second round. I suppose maybe it's a little advantageous now to face the Nuggets in the second round, perhaps, with, with Jamal uh, Murray's horrible injury. But, um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be uh, actively tanking to avoid a matchup this year. You know, clearly that was something they did last year, uh, feeling like he had the capacity to knock off Denver in the bubble. And, you know, but for but for Bogey being out and but for one last pitch, Mike Conley shot rimming out, uh, they were going to. This time around, I think it probably makes more sense for them to simply uh, try to get home court advantage all the way through the playoffs because this team is really, really good at Vivian Arena. It, it makes a legitimate difference in how they play, and I think having as many games as they can there is, is ultimately going to be the biggest factor for them. You think they got something in Brantley or no? Or you don't know? <laughs> that's that's another great question, right? Like, he was the guy who, out of their, their trio of second-round picks a year ago, if you had asked me at the time who's the most likely to, to stick, you know, I think most of us would have uh, predicted him. And, you know, since then we've seen Mieoni kind of be the guy, although last night that wasn't really the case. You know, Mieoni played seven minutes because Jarrell Brantley was simply uh, better out on the court than he was in, in this particular matchup. I think there's something there. Uh, I, I don't think it's a ton yet. I think he still is pretty kind of wildly inconsistent and, and a little bit underdeveloped at this point. But, there's some intriguing skills for sure. I mean, you've got a guy who's who's six foot five and who's thick, you know, who's built, but who's got some some guard skills. He's got the ability to hit some threes, to put the ball on the floor, to grab some rebounds. There's something there. The, the question is going to be, you know, is, does a team that's this good uh, have the ability to give minutes to a guy like that consistently. Uh, he probably more than anyone was was hurt by the fact that there were only a handful of G League games this year because uh, that really would have done him some good to play a full season with the Stars. Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, joining us. Uh, the Jazz have the, uh, the best record. Do you consider the healthy Lakers the best team, or have you got another favorite in the West? Yeah, I mean, LeBron and LeBron and Anthony Davis are are, are absolute game changers. Um, you know, which is not to say the Lakers don't have their flaws. Uh, I saw I saw someone post a stat on Twitter last night that out of the eleven thousand plus individual seasons that have been played by someone who's put up as many shot attempts as Wes Matthews, that uh, only about like fifty or so had a worse shooting percentage uh, in that time that than he did. So turns out not everything they do turns to gold. You know, we've we've seen Dennis Schroeder have his ups and downs there to the point now that 
you know, uh, this this no doubt extension we thought he was going to get is up in the air. We've seen Montrez Harrell have some issues. Um, we've seen Mark Stahl have some issues. I mean, they had enough issues at the big man spot that that they felt compelled to go out and add Andre Drummond at the at the deadline, um, or rather at, on the buyout market post trade deadline. But you know, they're not a perfect team. But until somebody knocks those guys off. Um, you have to consider them the favorites. I guess the question with with them is, you know, can you count on Anthony Davis to be healthy consistently? You know, he's a guy who throughout his career has been kind of consistently banged up, nicked up. He's always seemed to got something going on. Um, but then again, you know, if he can get right for the playoffs and, and put it together for those 16 games, they're awfully tough. So, um yeah, I think Phoenix doesn't have the experience. I think the Clippers probably, you know, while while Kawhi and uh, Paul George are incredible, they've got some deficiencies. So, you know, as great as the Jazz have been and as likely as they are to finish with the one seed, uh, I, I think we have to say that, yeah, the Lakers are the postseason favorites if those two guys are back on the court and playing well. And you just hope if the Jazz should get through these teams in the West that they don't face the Wizards in the final, right? <laughs> yeah, so long as they can avoid the Washington Wizards in the NBA Finals, they've got a shot. <laughs> Twenty and thirty-three, six and two against the big dogs, Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, Nets. Fourteen and thirty-one against everybody else. The NBA makes no sense. Yeah, there's there's a lot to that this year. It's you know I, I saw another stat that um, the Jazz had like kind of the lowest margin of winning of any first place team in the league since um, I, I forget who the previous team was, but it was um, the lowest margin of winning against fellow top teams of any team in, in about twenty or thirty years. So it's just. It's just crazy all the way around, you know. Who knows how it's going to turn out? Um, we're starting to see players say, "Hey, you know, did Jamal Murray get hurt because we're playing this this truncated schedule because we're cramming all these games into such a short amount of time?" Uh, we've seen it turn into load management in the extreme for some squads. We've seen it turn into, um, you know, that that's been one of the criticisms of the Jazz's record. Yeah, they've won a lot of games, but a lot of them have been against, you know, uh, the Brooklyn Nets holding out Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving and all of that, you know. So what it all means, I don't know. But, um, you know, I guess to that point, yeah, let's just cancel these remaining 17 regular season games and, and get the playoffs started. We've seen all we need to, right? Well, that just brought this segment full circle. Way to go. Well done. Good work, Eric. This is why I'm the talented newspaper journalist that I am. <laughs> All right, well, we will let you go. We appreciate a few minutes uh, and uh, look forward to uh, reading you when the Jazz get going again Friday and Saturday. All right, we'll uh, talk later, guys. There's Eric Walden, beat writer for the Utah Jazz, working for the Salt Lake Tribune, covering the Jazz. All right, when we come back, Thor Nystrom, lead college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. His take on the quarterbacks at the top of the draft. How good are the Jets going to be? Are they going to put a team around the number two pick, especially since we assume the number two pick is Zach Wilson? Uh, We'll talk with him next. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined now by Thor Nystrom. He writes for NBC Sports Edge. Covers the NFL Draft, lead college football writer. Thor, good morning. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing well. As you know, Zach Wilson's climb up the draft board has been met here in Utah by uh, smiles and high fives from the BYU faithful and snorts of derision from Ute fans and Utah State fans. The rivalries Ray John here. And I'm curious because if he goes number two to the Jets, like everyone seems to think he is, you know, they'll win, they'll lose, people will judge him. But the Jets have been uh, more a mess than not for a long period of time. And I'm curious if that is a franchise a quarterback should want to go to. Obviously, they've been shaking things up now with the leadership. How much faith do you have in the Jets going forward? Um, that's man, that's a tough question historically to ask anyone. Um, probably not the most just because of you know where they've been and whatnot. And and it, you know as, as far as the the decision with with Wilson, fascinating, right? I mean, like you had to pay a prohibitive cost to do that transition from from Sam Darnold to to Wilson, right? Like you got a second round pick and a couple of ancillary picks later on once. But now you're going to be, you know, I mean, they would have gotten an absolute boatload for that second pick if they'd gone the other way. So, I mean, it's a a fascinating decision. For me, uh, there's a little bit too much risk in Wilson's profile for me personally to have been willing to pay that price. But I certainly understand what, you know, where they're coming from. Uh, You don't see players with, with that kind of an arm come into the league every year. You know, it's just, it was lasers everywhere. You know, I mean, the, the jump up he took, I, I, I would understand wanting to uh, sort of stake the future of my franchise on that arm, for sure. So it looks like the emphasis on quarterbacks has never been greater. And there's five guys. We talked about Wilson and Lawrence and Fields and Mac Jones and Trey Lance. So those five, at what pick in the first round do you think we will get to and have all those five guys be gone? That's a really interesting question. So, you know, Schefter reported uh, a couple weeks ago that there'd be four in the top seven. It seems like that's just about a lock right now. Um, I would say, you know, as, as the board is presently constituted, you would almost think that nine would, would be the floor for the fifth one, right? Like, because whether it's Atlanta or Detroit for the uh, fourth one or, you know, trade-up iteration, et cetera, um, and then you have Denver, you know, at the ninth slot if they have not moved up. So I, I would think that that would be where five would, would go off the board. Um, but even, you know, outside of that, if there if there's moves and stuff like that, worst case scenario for any of those guys, I, I just don't see how they would even drop to the Patriots at 15, which is what you would usually think of as, as sort of the floor for these guys. That that would be the absolute, absolute nightmare for, for the fifth one. But um, right now, nine realistically might be the floor for the fifth one. So if you already have your quarterback and you're drafting in the top nine and you see some of the players who are there, 
you must be drooling thinking, well, you don't need a quarterback. Let these guys fight over the quarterbacks. We got our guy. And to add Pitts to your receiver core or to add Sewell to your offensive line, it seems like these other teams that aren't drafting quarterbacks aren't getting talked about, but it seems like if they don't trip over themselves or if they don't get crushed by injuries because that can wreck anybody's career in the NFL, they're, they're going to they're gonna do great. They're really going to make out in this draft. Yeah, it, it, that's a really good point. Um, you know, starting with Atlanta, for instance, you know, like a, a team that if they don't take a quarterback, you, you just have Kyle Pitts, right? Like, I mean, it's who I would take. Um, but outside of Pitts, who is, is a generational unicorn-type talent at his position, you have a couple other guys like that. Uh, for me, Penny Sewell is like that. He, he's the best offensive lineman that I've evaluated in the last five years. So I put him above, you know, the, I mean, like the, a priority player, right, in the, in, in the top ten. Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers we've had come out in the last couple of years as well. And so your, your point is very well taken where, yes, this is a very good quarterback class in, in the same way and, and maybe even some inside the NFL would perceive it as a bit better than our last five quarterback first round. You know, the, the one with, with Mayfield and Allen and Rosen and, and Lamar Jackson, et cetera, and Darnold, I, I, I suppose. Um, this one is, is going to end up, in terms of draft equity, more investment in the five quarterbacks. Because, I, like I just said, I don't think the last one is falling to, to the 32nd slot like Lamar Jackson did. And the manifestation of that is – these other three, four, five, you know, however many you want to put in that group of players at other positions that are not only the best players at their position this year, but if you put them into a bucket of the last three or four or five, where they would also be at the at the top of the class. And Sewell is one of the, for me, you know, and, and Pitts for sure, if you put it the last decade in a bucket, um, they're either going to come out at the top or, or near it. And so, again, your point's very well taken where th- this this rat race to get up the board to take all these quarterbacks, the, the natural offshoot of it is that it's going to push some of those guys maybe just a little bit lower uh, down the board. You know, whether they drop a slot or two lower or whether it's, you know, four or five slots lower, there's going to be very good deals to be had for some of those teams that are not looking for quarterbacks in the top 15. So we pretty much have Lawrence 1, Wilson 2. Uh, number 3 is the Niners, and obviously they've made some moves there. And we suspect a quarterback, but we don't know which one. Which one do you think they would take? Yeah, so right now, I, I think with the tea leaves, you you would just have to go chalk with Mac Jones. Even though, you know, for me, like, when, when that news came came out that the Niners were trading up and that all the rumors started with Mac Jones, my, my initial reaction was, I will believe that the 49ers take Mac Jones when, when, when Roger Goodell states his name, you know, being right off of a card um, on, on that last Thursday night in, uh, of this month. But since then, you know, it, it wasn't just the initial smoke, which is sort of mysterious as is, you know, just that, uh, you know, basically the quarterback that everyone agreed was fifth was this guy that, that, that a team had traded three first round picks and a third round pick to move into the third slot to take as, as the third quarterback. Um, but then the, the reports that we saw after that, it, it, it has confirmed it even more because, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, for instance, Chris Sims, one of my colleagues, he, he is a friend of, of, of Kyle Shanahan and the Shanahan family, et cetera. He was one of the ones saying it like right away. Um, but then in the week after that, uh, in the weeks after that, um, Adam Schefter reported that the 49ers were going to take uh, Mac Jones. And then we saw um, – uh, Peter King recently said, uh, this is in a, his column on Monday, he said that decision hasn't been made, but he would 
assume that the, the you know that right now the the pick is is Mac Jones, and then in you know mock drafts around the industry from the respected sort of industry indicator guys like Mel Kiper, you know you're starting to see him slotted in there. And then you know for the, the last piece of it is in terms of Vegas odds, Mac Jones before that trade occurred wasn't even in the stratosphere for the you know the the, the top guys in terms of favor to go with the third pick. Um, it was up to minus like two twenty five for Mac Jones to be the third pick earlier this week. It's now like closing in on minus three fifty. So it's like it, it, he certainly he's not in the odds range of like Trevor Lawrence is like minus you know fifty thousand to be the first pick and and Zach Wilson at this point is like minus ten thousand. But he he's like certainly creeping up uh, that way in 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 terms of that. So it, it's something that you know. That's what I think is is, is going to happen, barring a, a last-second change. We could get one, though. Uh, the 49ers are going to be at Justin Fields' second-throwing session this week, and next week they're going to Trey Lance's second-throwing session. And, it, you know, maybe – who knows? Well, we will end up seeing, but it's like – you know, it's sort of like the you know the Bachelor show on ABC when, like, during Fantasy Suite Week, you have the last date with The Bachelor, and, like, that's like an important thing or whatever. The, the last impression Trey Lance is going to get that. Um, and so I, I would almost think if it's not Mac Jones, it, the the surprise or the audible would be to Trey Lance as opposed to Justin Fields. But this is all conjecture. There's only two guys that know what's going to happen there. And, and Shanahan and, and John Lynch aren't telling anybody. Thor Nystrom joining us, lead college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. So let's flip it around for the quarterbacks and also for the guys like Pitts and Sewell who are top 10 picks. You want to go higher because your money gets better, but you also want to go to an organization that's got a chance of winning. Now, the Niners are up high because they're coming off a bad year, but they were just in a Super Bowl, too, so the organization doesn't look so messed up. If you're a player, which teams do you want to go to, and which organizations do you absolutely want to avoid? I would say, like, in this class, if I was a top-ten pick, you know, especially like, you know, we were just talking about like, you know, the teams that don't need a quarterback and then some of these unicorn prospects. If I was one of them, the team that I would want to go to is the Dolphins because of how well they have set themselves up, mostly because of Laramie Tunsil. And honestly, you go back to Laramie Tunsil's stepfather, put, putting out the, the pictures, you know, the, the morning of the draft or, you know, the, the night of his draft that pushed Tunsil down the board and to the Dolphins and then allowed them to accrue all of these picks first from the Texans, you know, in the, in the trade for him and then. Of course, in, in this trade, you know, the, the most recent one dropping from the third slot that had been the Texans, picking up the two future picks from the, the, the 49ers, they have the quarterback in two. I, I believe in him a little bit more than the, the fans do there. Let, let's get him some receivers and, and, and see how that pans out. Um, but it's not just him. Like, they've already started to fortify that, that roster in a very real way. Numerous positions. We saw how they, they improved this past season. Multiple first-round picks this year, multiple first-round picks next year, multiple first-round picks the year after that. Um, and, and so that would be a team that, that I would look at because not only that, you have the rookie quarterback under the rookie deal. As we know, that is your window. It, you know, it, it, you know, outside barring having Tom Brady, you know, that then that just becomes your window. But outside of that, like, you know, teams are looking to hit on these, these rookie quarterbacks because then for five years, you get them at this cap, you know, price that is severely depressed against what it otherwise would be if, if they were on the free market the, the the difference in those two figures, that's a real tangible thing that, that improves your roster. It's just money you can delineate to other positions. I think they're in a really good position going forward, the Dolphins. 
Outside of Sewell, who else do you like in the Pac-12 will be your next prospect? Not necessarily the first round. I don't think there's going to be one. But is it somebody like Little from Stanford? You know, Little Little concerns me a little bit. Um, you know, just just in terms of the profile, having, having really not played for a couple of seasons. But he's fascinating, you know, j- just as like in, in terms of like, uh, you know, sort of the biggest band between what he could become and what his floor is there's almost not a bigger band in the class that, that Walker Little because he really could turn into a perennial all-pro. Has all the tools, has the athleticism, um, you know, I mean, like, and he knows what he's doing. You know, the, the technical acumen is the reason that he was, like, you know, one of the top recruits in Stanford history. Um, but but just because the injuries and having not played the, uh, you know, and, and when he initially played there, you know, he was a young kid and there was some issues with, with power and speed, but there always is when, when you're, you know, a freshman playing in, you know, the power five or whatever. So he, he's a really fascinating one for me. Um, as, as far as the other, I'm, I'm trying to think, um, you know, j- just in terms of Pac-12 prospects, who else I'd like, I, I haven't stacked my board yet. Um but yeah, Jay Tufele of uh, USC, who's a local kid here, played his high school in Salt Lake. Yeah, yeah, an- an- another really interesting kid. And, and USC, you know, interestingly enough, like um, you know, I, I, I've, I've sort of begged on Clay Helton. A lot of people have the, the the past few years, but like you start to look at now the guys coming into the draft, you know, which are actually classes that were manifested from Clay Helton, um, starting to get a lot better, right? Like. In, in this class, it's not just him. It's the kid he plays next to inside there. Um, they have a linebacker in the class. They have a couple defensive backs. Um, and the offensive fire – well, and, of course, they have Amonra St. Browns in this class too. Tyler Vaughn's way later down. Probably won't get drafted. But then, you know, going forward, um, you know, Keaton Slovis and, and, and all the guys that they have on offense, like you're just going to see them start to – um, you know, USC sort of have a, a resurgence there. But, yeah, as, as far as the USC kids, like, on, on the interior, I like both of them. You know, I mean, like, and they, they both do different things. Um, it, you know, as far as Tufa, he it was like, I think he tested, like, as a 65th percent uh, size-adjusted athlete. Um, and I actually thought he was going to test a little bit better, to be honest with you, because he moves very well, you know, in, in short quarters. Like, he, he's a hard kid for, for offensive linemen to sort of square up, get you know, get their hooks into um, he, he's a guy that could be very disruptive. He just needs to, you know, and you guys probably know, he just needs to play with a little bit more, you know, discipline, a little bit more under control, you know, mind his technique a little bit more as opposed to just, like, I, I'm coming to you guys from Minneapolis. We, we had a couple defensive linemen that were sort of in this vein um, over over the years, uh, John Randall being the, the very, very best version of it. But we also had a, a guy named Chris Hovan who was just sort of a wild guy uh, on the inside. And, the better he got at his technique, the more it played up sort of his quirky movements, you know, because it, it, it's not just the, the ability to sort of like, you know, have, I, I suppose, in draft parlance, twitch in, in short quarters. It's, it's also that ability to uh, mentally and psychologically keep the, the offensive lineman off of your movements by being unpredictable as well. And Hoban was really good at that. That's something I see in Tufo. Um, and so, like, you know, if, if, if he can keep working on that, like I said, I, I think it just would play up, um, you know, sort of how he plays in general. If there's just a little bit more technique, a little bit more discipline, I, I think he bounces up a little bit as a player. So if you were drafting late in this draft, there's usually a game changer in the late first round who then, you know, 
does great. You got any favorites in there? Somebody who's going to slide late in the first round, which is still an excellent spot, but they go to a good team. They don't have the hype of the guys at the top of the draft, but they got better players around them and a chance to shine. You got somebody you're circling in that area of the draft that we should all watch? As, as you're explaining that, the name that, that jumps to the front of my mind is Rashad Bateman. He, you know, the, the Minnesota receiver actually from, you know, the, the city I'm coming to you guys from. But he, he has been, you know, sort of nitpicked uh, throughout, um, you know, starting like last season and then into this season. He was looked at as, you know, maybe not the best athlete. Um, and then last season he had to play the slot, which he was forced into after Tyler Johnson left the team. Bayman was one of the best outside receivers in, the, in college football in 2019. Last year he gets pigeonholed into this role that he wasn't comfortable with on short notice, you know, basically with the truncated offseason, et cetera. Um, and then Minnesota had all these other issues on offense. But Bayman acquitted himself fine. It's just that he wasn't in his, you know, his, his most ideal position, which is as an ex-receiver on the outside. Because what he's best at, it's his route running and his play strength. Is, is how he, he always has separation. Um, and then his ball skills are awesome, right? And so, like, for me, he's a very polished guy who's immediately going to come in, be a starting outside receiver. And I think he has very, very high, um, a very, very high ceiling. Like, you, you saw in 2019 when, when, when he was just a young kid, a, a true sophomore, um, again, like, statistically, by any measure, uh, one of the nation's best outside receivers, he's going to drop to a team um, that, that badly needs him. I, I think, like, you know, whether it's Baltimore, and I think he would be a great fit with Lamar Jackson, certainly a much better fit than Hollywood Brown. You know, a, a guy with a very small catch radius that, that you're, you're pairing with a guy who, you know, one of the great scramblers, of course, in, in NFL history and has a very good arm, but sort of similar to Trey Lance in this class. The, the one issue, of course, with, with uh, Jackson, it's just about placement and, and accuracy. You know, and of course, in his case, it, it wasn't disqualifying at all. Uh, but, you know, in, in matching with Lamar Jackson's game, I want a guy with a bigger catch radius um, that, you know, can use his frame at the catch point, you know, if, if, if he needs to go and get balls outside of his frame, et cetera, and that is always open in the intermediate area. And that, that's Rashad Bateman. He's going to catch all the balls downfield. You know, he, he turns 50-50 balls more into like 80-20 balls. And then, you know, downfield. And then in the intermediate area, like I said, just always open because of his footwork. Like, he's one of those guys, if you watch him, like – if you watch the defensive backs, he, he's the guy that always gets them their feet crossed up or he gets them. Um, my favorite thing watching his film was when he would uh, clown a guy so bad that they would actually have to do a pirouette to, to catch back up to him to, to gain them their momentum. So, like, he can get defensive backs doing all kinds of crazy keystone top things, falling over themselves just because of his footwork. I, I think Bateman goes to a team, uh, you know, a veteran team like you mentioned that that um, you know doesn't have as many needs, but maybe one of their big needs is, is is for a potential true number one receiver. And I think he helps that team immediately and is a is a long term uh, impact player. Well, it'll be intriguing to watch this play out. Thor, thanks for coming on and giving us a few minutes this morning. We appreciate it. Gentlemen, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. There's Thor Nystrom, lead college football and NFL draft writer for NBC Sports Edge. And I got to say, I don't, because I watch the Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, and then I try to watch, you know, the big games in the Mountain West and the Pac 12, I don't see a lot of SEC football, but I saw Florida enough and I saw Pitts enough, Kyle Pitts. Man, if he falls to you, he shouldn't be falling. He looks so awesome. And if it's your favorite team that ends up with him, you ought to be pumped. And if you play fantasy football, grab him. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. What is trending? Coming up next. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. Here is Reggie Jackson walking it from right to left. He's going to cross the midcourt line with 10 seconds left. Guarded by the rookie Hayes. Jackson with six seconds left. Jackson at the top of the key with four seconds left. Crossover. Step into the jumper. He buries it. Dodgers comes and gets it. Got a bounce and will fling it on up. And he hit it. He hit it to put the game in overtime. He was crouching when he let it go. Maybe a three. Was he behind the line? I don't know if he was behind the line. I'm not sure of that. They're going to check. The Maverick bench exploding. Tim Hardaway's putting up three fingers to see if it's a three-pointer. That's oh, a three. he did. He did go behind the line. He just won the game. Luka just won the game with an incredible shot as he split the double team of Brooks and Valanciunas and leaning in to score. Highlights. From around the NBA, the Mavericks on an incredible shot by Luka Doncic, stumbling forward, off balance, splitting the double team and flinging it in. It's a playground shot, PK, and it was a game winner. Yeah. The funny thing is, though, that, that's what I've said about the great players, and I thought it was on balance. It was awkward, but under the circumstances, dipping like that and moving forward to be able to get the shot off, I thought it was incredible balance. I mean, it wasn't true balance in the way we normally see a okay thank you <laughs> i'll give you that the side to side stuff was perfectly balanced but his weight he was way forward and i get your point like the the core strength that these guys work on to pull that off when you're kind of leaning over and and way off balance forward i mean it didn't look like anything close to a normal shot no no but it wasn't his balance and all wasn't totally awkward yeah, as far as like not the falling left to right or anything like that, totally agree. But the stumbling forward thing, I couldn't believe he made that shot. It's amazing. It, yeah, it was no awesome. doubt about it. It was awesome. You can you can watch replays of that multiple times and, and still just be stunned that he did that. And I think it goes back to what you said when New Orleans uh, blew some big lead and lost to somebody. You said, they're good, but they're a young team, and they don't know how to win yet. And I thought the Grizzlies – Coulda, woulda, shoulda been in the control of that game much earlier in the fourth quarter. But the Mavericks made a run and tightened it up, and then at the end of the game they got a chance to uh, do that. And Grayson Allen had free throws that, you know, could have changed everything, and he didn't get those to go. So, Good. Clippers beat the Pistons. Reggie Jackson had the eventual game winner there, but a frightening game for the Clippers. But at this point in the season, hey, get the win. They're in third place. They got a chance to get to second. And they pick up the win over the uh, over the Pistons. Well, they played without Leonard and George. Neither of those guys were playing, and Reggie Jackson came up big, which is ironic because on this day in 1972, Reggie Jackson, of course, not this one, but the other, the more famous Reggie Jackson, he sported a mustache, and it's reported to be the first major league player with facial hair hair since Wally Shang in 1914 on this day in 1972. What? I, I follow baseball picks on Twitter. Uh-huh. I got it right here. Big so it's been 58 years that no one had had facial hair in Major League Baseball. 
Reggie Jackson sports a mustache. April 15th, 1972. Jackson is reported to be the first major league player with facial hair since Wally Shang in 1914. Schlang. S-C-H-A-N-G. I, there were, there were I, a couple teams I've heard of literally had the rule no facial hair. Cincinnati Reds and the New York Yankees. I've read that multiple times, but I didn't know that it was nowhere in Major League Baseball. Seems weird. Well, it says right here on the internet. I, I got it. Thank you, PK. <laughs> and if it's on the internet, if it's on the World Wide Webs, it must be true. It's internet. Make sure you pronounce all the letters. Internet. 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 Right here on the internet. Internet. Uh, Jokic, another triple-double, 17 points. The Nuggets beat the Miami Heat, 123-106. So Denver gets a win. They keep doing their thing. And who else in the West do we really care about? Uh, The Warriors, not that we really care about them. They'll be in that 7, 8, 9, 10 thing probably, that play-in series. They beat the Thunder. Oklahoma City, after taking a licking here in Utah, went to uh, went and got blown out by Golden State, 147-109. Steph Curry went for 42. It's just, they are way, way shorthanded. Oh, Lugans Dort did not play. No Lou Dort, no hope. Sixers that, beat. That, that's what they're marching and saying, by the way. <laughs> Sixers 120. In Oklahoma City. Sixers 123-117 over the Nets. MB goes for 39 and 13. The Nets, the quintessential. How many of their guys do they have team? Oh, quintessential. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's a $7 word right there. Soak it up. Kyrie Irving went for 37, but Kevin Durant did not play with the hamstring. And of course, uh, long term, they're without James Harden right now. And so neither did Blake Griffin. Just one of you their three. A $7 word. Yesterday I was looking at a lot of time. I was doing some football research just because uh, I had the time. Mm-hmm. And Utah, uh, they have a kid from Hawaii, and his mother has 19 letters in her first name. Yikes. I know. You, you probably don't want to try and say that name right now, do you? I don't have it in front of me, and I could go back and get it because I was looking at the Incoming guys just reading bios and stuff, and I did it for. Uh, I probably finished about uh, eight of the twelve Pac-12 teams yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon, and I saw that one of the incoming nineteen letters. Those Polynesians, man, they like to they like to go on and on sometimes. Of course, and they short it, shorten it, I should say, to probably something. I don't think it's going to. Well, yeah, but we got more. people who've got like six-letter names who get shortened to. To three letters. If you got 19, you're absolutely getting a nickname. Well, yeah. If Robert get... becomes Bob, then your 19-letter name can have a nickname. Well, when we get to baseball, we're going to hear about Bo Bichette, and that's two. <laughs> I like it. As short as possible. Bo could be four, but You know what two. I'm saying, G? G, thank you. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. College Hoops, Arizona has a basketball coach. It's Gonzaga assistant Tommy Lloyd. He replaces Sean Miller in, Toy- in Tucson. Toy son. Uh, Lloyd had been Mark Few's right-hand man for a couple decades. Key cog to build the international talent pipeline for the Bulldogs. So whenever this comes up, there's always a question, what does it mean for the school hiring the coach? But in this case, double down, not just what does it mean for Arizona. What do you think it's going to mean for Gonzaga? Nothing. Really? Fuel just keep yeah. it going and won't even blink? No, I don't think so. Uh, because he's had he's had assistance 
leave. And I realized Lloyd has been there, but Lloyd wasn't necessarily able to leave because he's 48 years old. He's been there 20 years. I don't think he was going to get a job like this at 31, 32, 33, 34, so forth. So, of course, he would stay. And now Gonzaga is at the top of their game. He's 48 years old. He deserves this opportunity. So I don't think it's going to be a big blow for Gonzaga. I think that they will continue to roll. I think it's a gutsy hire by Arizona. Uh, and I and I'd heard earlier in the week as I told you you brought it up on the air uh, yeah yeah you brought that, this up. That, that that's what they were he was uh, he was either an in-house guy who played for Lute and Lute will always be the godfather in the way Lavelle Edwards although they had some success before Lute not to the level no that they, they had, had good teams back in the seventies yeah they did they did for sure and uh, but nevertheless there the a lot of the, Luke guys out there, but yeah, I'd heard that Lloyd was uh, certainly in the mix, a strong mix, and I said that his his son plays basketball and there. He's on the grand, on team of Grand Canyon up in Phoenix. At, uh, so it, it, it's it's a gutsy move going outside the family, but Sean Miller was outside, so I don't think they had established that, that you had to do that, but there was some people, and people in Tucson, and there's some boosters down there who really can have a strong, strong influence. And from what I was hearing, you know, they they were pushed uh, to get one of the guys because they already have a relationship. And now they have to buddy up to somebody who's brand new, who they have zero relationship with. And an interesting fact is now you've got the football and men's basketball coaches, neither of whom have been a full time head coach before. And they're going to be first time guys. You could see a little bit in football because football isn't the stature of basketball. Basketball, obviously, Arizona has been one of the premier programs in the country for a good number of years, maybe not the last couple. And what is Floyd going to do? He's probably going to get some time because there may be some sanctions coming down along with what they did, uh, firing Miller and self-imposing a ban this past season. But that might not be enough in the eyes of the NCAA, so we'll have to see that. But, uh, yeah, this, this guy, I've talked to him a few times, and so uh, he gets a shot. And a move that will impact college basketball, but will impact all college sports, football, all the Olympic sports and all that. The NCAA Board of Governors has approved the long-expected move that will allow all student-athletes a one-time free transfer in all sports. You don't have to sit out to be eligible, PK. I guess you do if you want to transfer a second time, and we are seeing that, kids playing for three schools. But the first time, you got a free transfer. The formal vote to approve the measure will take place this evening when the Board of Governors convenes. Well, a lot of these kids are making appeals, and they've been getting the appeals. You yep. look at Barcelo for the BYU basketball team as a, as a recent example. So they've been very more, much more lenient with that. So you wonder if they will continue if a player wants to transfer a second time because if the circumstances, whatever, might you have a parent who died or whatever and you want to be closer to home, I think they've been – a little bit more, uh, I don't know, forgiving or understanding is the better word. Uh, And then also, too, you still have the grad transfer in Mm -hmm. your back pocket if you want it because, you know, that that point, uh, unless you transferred twice your first two years, you're probably going to have at least three years. And so if you work on your academics, kids have been able to get that done in a short amount of time there. Uh, So we could see that. Uh, twice, but yeah, I think this is the. To me, this is an important thing, and I think there's other things that need to be changed, as far as to give all the advantage or most of the advantage to the player, because the coach can literally be on the job for a day and say, "Nah, I changed my mind. 
I'm going to and not just go back to the prior job, take another job that he or she deems better. Uh, we've seen that. The Texas basketball coach Beard did that a couple years back with UNLV. Well, that screws up UNLV, right? And then they end up uh, going to, what, a second or third or fourth choice? And we know they just made a coaching change the year before last. And so their basketball program has been not very good of late. And, you know, they lose a transfer here to Utah with uh, Slocum bringing a kid over back to all that. So it impacts the school negatively when a coach does that. So I think they should be able to allow the players to do it. And also, too, uh, and I've been pushing for, uh, why have your rules that are advantageous to the professionals? Have the rules that are advantageous to the kid so he can put his name out there, and if he doesn't want to go, then he doesn't go. Especially with the transfer rules now changing, the argument for a long time was, well, the coach has got to know in his roster and the recruiting window's closed, and then he loses a kid, so we've got to have this so that the coach has this certainty. But since the coaches have no certainty with the transfer rule anyway, and since there are... Uh, what did Kyle tell us? Four players in the portal for every scholarship that's available. Well, now you can go get a replacement. Maybe not as good, but at least you can go get somebody. And basketball's got twelve or thirteen hundred kids in the portal. Again, you can go get a whole roster. Oh well, yeah. It's interesting you say that. And this is under college basketball, so it fits. I was looking on the inter- internet last night, and a kid. Uh, there's only three kids for ASU basketball. Who, uh, who were on the scholarship last year, who would be on the scholarship, be on scholarship next year because Hurley has just revamped his roster. One of those kids who was deemed to start, they, the Devils got three, I, I don't know who they are, but they got three guys who played position of guard in the transfer portal that committed. And this kid who was due to start, and he played and he started a little bit last year, yes, uh, yesterday, last night, he put his name in the transfer portal because he saw, well, these guys are going to come in and maybe he must have thought they're better than me or they're going to take my playing time. And so he's out the door and he's a kid who was at uh, in the big sky at uh, Portland State and came to Tempe. Now he wants to leave. So that'll be a second transfer for him. And he'll take advantage of this one-time transfer rule since he didn't, uh, uh, the rule wasn't in effect last time. So yeah, you got that with the portal way late in the game, Mm -hmm. you could get somebody who they deem is better than you, and then you're stuck. Transfer Portal Pete over there, you got your hands full now. Little did you know when you signed up for this how much work it was going to turn out to be. The NCAA wants to police people handing out IP addresses and some such. But you already got it. I know you probably don't want me to say that, but uh, you're good to go. Yeah, they're not yeah. gonna bust you. You're Hello. not gonna get thrown in jail. VPN, baby, we're hiding this thing. <laughs> You're in the inside. <laughs> it's only a matter of time till it gets completely opened up. I think. Well, the funny thing is, actually, there was a guy who I've been following on Twitter for a while. He went in with a program apparently where it scoops the data, uh-huh. and he literally made a database, and he can just put it on a spreadsheet, and he's got the entire portal there. So there's a recruiting website that you use that's tracking it now. 24-7 sports. 24-7 is doing it, but there seems like it's a little behind. They're a little slow getting the update in there. Because oh, I was looking brother, at the Utah so you basketball. You can't wait two hours? They're looking at the Utah basketball <laughs> stuff, and there's a couple kids who we've heard about who aren't on their website sure. yet. So It's only a matter of time, though. It'll just all be out there. I mean, what's the point of keeping it secret? The kids are posting it on social media anyway. I know. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. If we wait two or three more years and try to find Ben's successor, Baker Mayfield going to be ahead of the game. 
Joe Burrow going to be ahead of the game. Lamar Jackson going to be ahead of the game. So what else going to leave the Pittsburgh Steelers? Because if we looking at now or last year, Seven had a nice little stat-wise, what, 33 touchdowns, 10 interceptions? That's not bad. But as a former Pittsburgh Steeler, if we're not hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, that's really a wash for the season. That's former Steeler Ike Taylor right there saying it is Super Bowl or bust for Pittsburgh. He's uh, certainly on point about the rest of the division has young quarterbacks who look like they have a big-time upside, who look like they could do Now we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but there's encouraging signs for all of those teams. Meanwhile, the Steelers are at the end of the line with Ben Roethlisberger. They started 11-0, complete collapse. He's given up the money. He's coming back for one more year. And we know from the Favre saga there could be one more year after this. But it really does seem like Pittsburgh's getting near the end of the line. So Super Bowl or bust for this generation of Steelers for the Ben Roethlisberger era. Well, this is the cycle of great quarterbacks. Yep. Tampa Bay is going to face it in a year or two. Uh, New England's going through it now. Uh, the Saints are going to go through it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it's just the way it is, man. And yeah, if you what you what you need to do is either make some great trade, a la getting. I think that's how the Niners got Steve Young, right? Uh, yeah. Or or you suck, and then you draft a Justin Herbert, who looks like he has promise. And you hope that he is, and so you don't have, like, the Jets, you know, the Sanchez and Darnold, and uh, I can't even name all the quarterbacks, obviously, uh, over the last X amount of years. So what he's saying there, it applies to every team in that situation. An attorney's filed a criminal complaint against the Rams star defensive lineman Aaron Donald, filed with Pittsburgh police saying the defensive tackle and others assaulted his 26-year-old client in an after-hours club last weekend. Attorney Todd J. Hollis says his client, Vincent Spriggs, needed 16 stitches, suffered a broken orbital bone, a broken nose, a concussion, a sprained or broken arm. The alleged attack occurred around 3 a.m. Sunday. Hollis says he has photos showing Spriggs with the facial injuries and swelling. I saw that picture. Apparently, inadvertently bumped Donald, and an incident ensued inside the Boom Boom Room nightclub. Caused both parties to be asked to leave. I, I thought that stuff, then we don't have that. Uh, this is a pandemic. I can't keep track of what is acceptable behavior in this stuff and what isn't. Uh, being asked to leave the Boom Boom Room, and I just want to say Boom Boom Room as many times as possible. Being asked to leave the Boom Boom Room at 3 a.m. doesn't sound like... Uh, that's acceptable pandemic behavior. If you were in the boom boom room, and uh, I would think the NFL might be in, end up finding you with that. Uh, it's the off season, so maybe it's different. But I think all these leagues have had a ton of rules. I mean, Joe Ingles has told us there's a ton of rules, and the NFL was is, uh, was cracking on guys during the season. I mean, we heard plenty of those stories about that. This is off season, obviously. Right, and so maybe those rules are a little lighter. I don't know. You you Democrats, you crazy people. Free agent pass rusher Javion Clowney signed a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns. It's worth up to $10 million. The team with Miles Garrett to give Cleveland two high-end pass rushers. After quarterback, the most important position. And if you got two of them, somebody, they can't both be double-teamed. Somebody ought to be breaking loose. Cleveland going all in. 
DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Breaking ball high in the air. Hicks ranging back at the wall, at the track. Get out of here. God, a walk-off home run for Bo Bichette. Have a day, Bo. Another 3-2. Ground ball to third. Moncada up with it. Throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Carlos Rodon has no-hit the Cleveland Indians. The 20th no-hitter in Sox history. What a performance. He's being mobbed on the mound by his teammates. They come rushing from the bullpen. He was also close to a perfect game, but a no-hitter will do. Carlos Rodon had the perfect game into the uh, ninth inning. The ninth inning got uh, pretty interesting, PK. A bang-bang play at first, play, at first base. And then the hit by pitcher with one out, or the hit by pitcher with one out that wrecked the perfect game, but he holds on for the no-no. And the White Sox beat Cleveland eight zip. That is two times now in less than a week that we've had a perfect game wrecked by a hit by the pitcher, but still got the no-hitter out of it. Yeah, it was a slider in. He's a left-hander and a slider into Perez and hit him in the back foot and in the toe area on the shoe. Uh, there's some heat. This guy's taking some heat. I was reading this morning. He should have tried more passionately to get out of the way. Uh, it's in the moment, man. The, and the ball's curving into you. So it's like, well, unless he jumped over it, I'm not sure he would have been get out of the way because if he moved backward, then maybe it hits him in the midfoot or ankle area as opposed up front because the ball left-hander to a right-hander on a slider, the ball's breaking into you. Instead of uh, away from you, that's why managers love the lefty-righty combo as a uh, for a batter, and you know, versus vice versa for the pitcher and all that stuff. So, but he may maintain his composure and at least got the no-no out of it. The no, the, the perfect game would have been cool. Certainly, I I, I saw it. Uh, I was watching Dodgers Rockies and they said it, and so I flicked over one channel on my Comcast and uh, watched that thing. The ninth inning would have been something. But here's a kid that. Uh, has had all sorts of issues. Tommy John, shoulder surgery. He was left untendered in December, which means he could have, uh, he was a free agent basically, but they brought him back. And it was funny, in the ninth, he had so much juice and adrenaline. He was throwing several miles an hour harder than he normally does. He hit 99 in the ninth inning. <laughs> so, his quote baseball's pretty humbling. It's that quick, it'll eat you, spit you out. And sometimes it'll reward you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Got the reward. Oh, you mentioned you were watching Dodgers Rockies. This will shock everyone, but the the Dodgers beat the Rockies four to two. The Dodgers off to a ten and two start, best record in baseball, first team to ten wins and all that stuff. The only team that's really going with them, the Boston Red Sox, who just won their ninth straight game after that 0-3 start. They're unbeatable. Nine and three, playing seven fifty ball. I bet nobody expected that. They're probably complaining like crazy at zero and three. But look at them now. Hey, did you see the nacho splash? Just the nacho turn? splash. That is. Uh, I'm going to catch this ball. <laughs> you end up wearing some food. <laughs> yeah, I was left. I was watching it live. And you oh, you see, were watching it live. I was. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching it live. I had the game on. I watched most of the game. I turned it over for the. Uh, the perfect game, no, no. But other than that, then I went right back to it. So, yeah, I was watching the game. I 
So I'm a Dodger fan. And so I was watching that game, and I saw Turner's home run. You see the thing, just all the, the nacho cheese just splatter. Sort of gross. But, uh. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff you joke about happening. And you're sitting out there, I'm going to catch it in this cup, or I'm going to catch it in this thing of popcorn. But how often do you actually see that happening? I think I've seen a couple foul balls go into beers, maybe. But the nachos is a whole other le- level of, well, gross. Didn't yeah. Turner order him a, another round? He got more nachos. Yeah, I think, he, I th- I <laughs> think Turner yeah. like, ordered it from the dugout oh, and had him delivered to him. I, I didn't know that. I missed that. But, uh, yeah, he got they, – they came by, and they, they had to clean up the area. <laughs> wow. Well, and it's all over his face and his the hair thing, and stuff. It's just – it blew up on him. Uh, Rocky, I was riding the Rocky announcers were having a field day. The bad news is that his wife or girlfriend or date or whoever, she drove, so they're going to make him Uber because he's filthy. <laughs> I was at Yankee Stadium a couple years back, and I saw a guy, uh, two guys, a ball hits, come foul ball. It hits the concrete, so it hits the aisle, and it bounces straight up. And two guys then are reaching up because the ball, you know, if it hits, it ricochets and it'll go straight up. It'll go mm-hmm. 20 feet high or what have you. And two guys are reaching up. And one guy had a beer in his hand, and they bumped into each other. The beer spilled all over him. And also, he was chubby. And as he reached up, then the beer is falling. So he reaches up with both hands. His shorts fall down to his ankles. Uh... And everybody around went berserko laughing. <laughs> including me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Astros shorthanded now. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, among five members on the team who are on the IL for health and safety protocols relating to COVID-19. Houston lost to Detroit 6-4 without him. And Pete Rose. Can't beat him, join him. Can't get reinstated by Major League Baseball, so he said, Dah. And he's joining up with U-Pick Trade, a pick-selling website based in Mexico. He's going to sell his sports betting picks for Major League Baseball and other sports for $89 a month. Says he doesn't believe it'll impact his chances of getting in the Hall of Fame. His chances of getting in the Hall of Fame seem to be about zero. Well, it's interesting. Pete Rose turned 80 yesterday. Yeah. Born uh, April 14th, 1941. 80 years old. 4,256 hits. I'd say put him in the hall and have the plaque uh, go through all the things that uh, we know he did with the, with the betting. It's going to be the history of the game. Let's have it be the complete history of the game. Guy was a winner. Charlie Hustle, man. That's a great nickname. Better than Charlie Loafer. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Uh, coming up, we got Utah availability for the football team coming up at 8 o'clock. And at 8.30, Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, will join us. Joe Ingles in the 9 o'clock hour. Stay with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Question of the day coming up next. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Our friend Dirk Facer on with us. Spring ball wrapping up with Utah. How open is the quarterback competition going to be in fall camp? It really depends on Cameron's health. If he's not good to go with that shoulder, then I don't think there's a competition at all. Just like spring ball, Charlie Brewer's getting most of the reps. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens this fall based on Rising's health. They're saying right now it's going to be an open competition. You know, in this world of Zoom conferences and not being able to watch practice, I just got to take them at their word. It's an open competition. But the Brewers statistics, we've got a great insurance policy there. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes and Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury hasn't. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Seiner Cadillac today. Question of the day. Well, college football fans, college basketball fans, any college sport. It's here. One-time free transfer. So is everybody cool with the decision to allow college players a one-time free transfer? And I would say, PK, that it is uh, people are 80 to 90% on board. Brad's 100% absolutely fine with it. Coaches can leave, so the players should be able to, since the coach can, if they want to play for that coach and he left, of course they should be able to transfer. Thomas is right there. If the head coach leaves, everyone should be able to leave that year without penalty. Well, Thomas, this is uh, a much broader definition of transfer. You can leave whether the coach leaves or not. Thomas, uh, another different Thomas here, says, uh, I think so. However, won't this just hurt the recruitment of high school athletes? Teams can avoid giving out scholarships to unknowns at the college level and just recruit transfers to their program. How many high schoolers could afford to self-pay even one year without a scholarship? Oh, well, if you get a student loan, everybody. And then you people are going to forgive the student loans, so they're okay or they're right, right? Aha! <laughs> So, I mean, I, so I, I couldn't afford it. That's how I went five friggin' years <laughs> and paid it all back. Now it's much more expensive now. I understand that. Uh, so I do. I am intrigued how this is going to impact uh, high school kids. Oh, yeah. I think that's a legitimate concern because what's going to happen potentially, and you have to look at all ramifications. It's like, you know, you just you put out a rule or, a, you know, an NCAA law, we'll call it. And uh, you have to look at the ramifications. Like I've been saying this for years, give these kids money, but then you better well train them, particularly, and let's just call it like it is. We need to have real talk. We can have real talk when it's on uh, an issue that uh, people, uh, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, but some of these kids are coming from impoverished backgrounds. They don't have the guidance. And if you, depending on how much money they have available to them, they're going to get all sorts of people coming at them in all sorts of different directions and are they prepared to handle that and could that lead to uh, other things that are immediate problems and problems down the line that uh, you're on the hook until they're 18 if you get my drift and that's happened that's 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 out there and so you have to look at the consequences that are intended and the unintended consequences and so here if you do this, which they're going to do, you know, what does that mean? Is it going to be the so-called rich get richer? And then the the top programs, well, gosh, do we even need to recruit a three-star or a two-star kid out of high school 
Why bother? Let him go to the minors, so to speak, and see how he does. Then we can pluck him if he develops. Meanwhile, we could still get the four and five star. And I told you I was doing some Pac-12 research yesterday because it was, you know, not a good day to be outside and all that stuff, obviously. And I was just looking at the recruits for SC football. They got 15, 15 kids coming in this year that are at minimum a four star. So a four star or a five star. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't guarantee anything, but obviously it's a good start. And so here, if you want a kid uh, who wants to stay in the region, you know, SC is obviously still a very much a viable choice. And so do you get kids then that are schools? We'll just we'll pass on this kid. We know this kid over here, and they've got the number one recruit coming in at defensive end uh, next year, going to be on the roster in this coming season. And I think he's going to have the same impact as the – the Thibodeau kid did for Oregon, number, I think, what, number five, Yach? If you remember him uh, just causing all sorts of trouble for Where's the number five? Yep. in the Pac-12 title game uh, a couple of years ago, and he'll be a junior this year, and he'll be on his way to the NFL for I was going to sure. say, he's a first-round yeah. pick next year yeah. in the draft. Maybe he'll do like Penny Sewell and sit out and get himself ready for the draft. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, so... Uh, you do, does this just aid those schools? There's a bunch of unintended consequences that I don't even think you and I or the three of us could come up with right now that this rule could end up having an effect on an impact on. Okay, so there's one note here that this past recruiting cycle, Texas State, who BYU played this past year, do you know, you know how many high school players they took in their recruiting class this year? Zero or 25. It's going to be an extreme example because you're not saying this because it was 18. They took zero. Zero. They took all either junior college or Division One transfers in this group. And the, their coach was saying, well, the thought is here that we can pick off guys from other programs. And yeah, but the, the 25-85 rule it, ought to jump up and bite you at that it, point. And that's the thing, that there's a lot of thought that at some point it's going to come back and bite them. They did not take a single high school player in this class. Yeah, well, come back and bite them. If he doesn't win, why may the coach get fired? So what does he care about coming yeah. back and biting them? I don't know their situation. I do know that Paul Goldschmidt went to Texas State, and so I am a Texas State baseball fan. But other than that, I don't you know when they played him, uh, in football, that was it, and then they go, go away. Bobcats. You don't think twice about them, and so I don't know the coach's situation. But uh, what does he care three years down the road if he's not there? So I think that there is that fear among the schools that are further down the food chain that we are the junior varsity. We're going to bring these guys in. We're going to develop them, and then they're going to take off for greener pastures, right? Who's the recruit that youth just got from UNLV? I'm blanking on his name right David now. David Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah, Jenkins. Basketball? He was in, it was in South Dakota, and then he went to UNLV. This is it's his like, third program. Yeah, it's his third program, and everyone, the, regardless of how good the team is or not, the perception is you're going to a better league and better composite competition and proving yourself. But it works the other way, too. You see Santa Barbara. I mean, my alma mater goes to the NCAA tournament, it seems like, about once every, I don't know, five to seven years, somewhere in there, and they went this year. Well, they had a couple of high-profile transfers. One kid yeah. was from DePaul. So there will be kids who uh, – well, Barcelo's a good example, right? The Pac-12 to the West Coast Conference. That sounds like a move down. Well, he was getting passed over and not getting playing time and thought he was going to be buried behind all these one-and-dones, and he goes to BYU, and he gave him two good years. So yeah, I think that the back, talent – may come back, may three. Right. The talent, I think, can flow both ways. It can. It can. But are – and that's nice for them – in, in, I think football is the big sport, right, obviously. So that's nice for them. They go. 
and the the kid plays for Santa Barbara, and they go to the tournament, and they're mm-hmm. one and done. Yep. But they're not really a big time player, nor do they intend to want to be because they're not, you know just not putting the money into it and all that stuff. So fine, that that's a that's a great example. And I don't know the kid what his situation was at DePaul, but if he wasn't playing. Uh, although if I was playing 40 minutes a game and I had the chance to go to Santa Barbara, I'd still go to Santa Barbara, but that's just me. <laughs> For the win! <laughs> uh, so, and that's great, but that doesn't really move the power structure at all. And it doesn't, it doesn't leave a bad taste in any of our mouths, because he could still do that. He would have just had to sit out a year. Mm-hmm. He could still have done that. That doesn't change. That's always been there uh, when you have that, and that will always continue to be there. Uh, it's just... And football already has what I call an NBA problem in that there's so few teams that are really, really competing. I mean, when the, when the college football poll playoff thing comes out, there may be some intrigue on who's four. A lot of the intrigue is in who's five, six, and seven. There's no intrigue on who's one, two, and three. Because it seems <laughs> like it's the same teams all the time. Bama, Clemson, <laughs> Ohio State. Now what do you yeah. got for me? Oh, yeah. Oklahoma. Hmm. Right. Notre Dame. Yeah. Which okay. which superpower is going to nab that fourth spot and be able to hold on to it? And there may be some change between the, the, what do they do that for about a month before they release the final in a traditional yeah. season yeah. comes out the end of October first of November and then it's uh, uh first week of December and away we go uh, for the playoff. But yeah, so there's not a lot of hope there that uh, for so many of the teams and then. You maybe you get a you get the Big Twelve, uh, a, ses- a second SEC, maybe uh, the Pac twelve. But even in the Pac twelve, there's really just a couple of two or three teams, four teams maybe that got a shot at that. So in your own conference, two thirds of the teams don't really have a shot. So within at a conference level and a national level, is it just going to be the rich get richer? But the rich are already getting richer. But even more richer, richer again. <laughs> Alabama can get richer than going to the going to the college football playoff every yeah, they, year. Well, they don't go every year. They haven't gone every year. They've gone six times, and so is Clemson. So would they literally go every year? If this, and in, and and then you talk about the impact. You're talking about how it can benefit your your example. Benefited UCSB, yes. Yeah, but how about uh, if a, if a kid. Who came? There was a kid that, uh, uh, who was it? I think it was, uh, was he at, he was at San Diego State when San Diego State sucked in basketball. Mm-hmm. He's a little, I think he's, he's like, he wanted to be called Circus and his name was Raymond King. And it was when they were really bad. They had that uh, JC coach from uh, uh, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. Trinkle? His name. You said, yeah, something like Fred that. Trinkle. And, and they were so playing the, in Peterson Gym that was like right. 60 years old and had dodgeball yeah. lines on the floor. And so he came out, looked real good, and they transferred to Pac-10. I'm out. Yeah. So, it, so in effect, that's already been happening, but will it happen more? You know, will maybe it'll benefit l- lesser schools, uh, but maybe it won't. I, I'm not sure, but... It seems like it has the potential to be most of these schools being a, uh, basically a farm system for somebody who wants to hit hit the big time, possibly. But I still think they ought to do it. You gotta, I, I want rules that benefit the kid. It will be interesting to see if in one sport 
it works for one group of schools but doesn't work for that group of schools in another sport. You know, the thing that basketball has because they have the bigger tournament is that at every league, right, the, uh, the, when you're uh, in the big sky and the big west, you're, you're in a, oh, the whack, you're in a one-and-done league. So if you're UC Santa Barbara, you win your conference tournament, you go, and they can, you know, lament the last shot that didn't go down against Creighton. But it feels like a good year, and everybody's happy. Oh, it's a now, great year. You're right, but you go to uh, another league, and you know, for a long time for Utah and BYU and their whack Mountain West days, the Sweet 16, that was the big year, right? If you got to the Sweet 16, you were feeling great. That was a really good year. You know? And then there are other leagues. It's the Pac-12, and it's Arizona, and, and Sean Miller was sweating every year in the regional final through his shirt four minutes in because they had to go to the Final Four. So all these different levels. I don't know that we're feeling that in football that much. There's four teams that get to go to the playoff, but I don't think you have these different levels of success where you can check a box and say, for us, this is awesome, whatever this is. You don't have that so much in football. You got it a little bit. The Utes will feel awesome if they're in a Rose Bowl, even if they controversial, a one-loss Ute team got passed over for the playoff. I think most Pac-12 teams would feel that way. They'd feel awesome if they're in the Rose Bowl, even if they got passed over for the playoff and it was controversial. Yeah, but that's the granddaddy. Yep. Yeah. So but that's that, the just that's the league for that we're following. You know. No, 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 no. What what you just did is you put the sugar bowl and the orange bowl and whatever bowl on the level of the granddaddy. <laughs> you need to take two steps back and say I'm sorry. And beg for forgiveness. No, because that's not what I was doing. Because I grew up on the West Coast, and I wouldn't do that. The you Sugar sure Bowl doesn't have any. The Sugar Bowl doesn't have any allure. See, then why the did thing you is, say that's because we're out here? Because we're covering, we're following Pac-12 teams. It I, doesn't matter. And I think that's true I was a for kid Pac-12 growing teams. up in Jersey, and the granddaddy still was in my heart. Okay, so we can talk Big Twelve. And does Baylor get that vibe for going to the Sugar Bowl? No, I don't, I don't I just think said they do. That. Right, I don't think they do. But we're here talking about the Pac-12, and you do get that vibe for going to the Rose Bowl. It doesn't matter whether that you, you missed the point. Everywhere in the world, it's the granddaddy. Doesn't matter where your location is. You friggin' nincompoop. You're missing the point. You just want you to are. The <laughs> point is evading you greatly. You're using it as a regional thing. That's why we're talking about the granddaddy. No, the granddaddy is the granddaddy. Repeat after me. It is the granddaddy. Three, two, one, go. No, that just sounds weird to start talking about granddaddies. All right, DJ and PK. Uh, I should have brought this up earlier in the week. Uh, when I first heard it, it was hilarious, and I thought of you, PK, because it's like first cousin to a thing that you have always talked about, and that thing didn't happen, but this one's kind of the same deal, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Matt Harper, kind enough to join us. I would never sacrifice health. I mean, if, if someone's legit injured, I would say, yeah, you don't want to get injured more. However, if you're at the nagging stage and you can push through, you're at the one seed and you can protect it, you got to go for it. I mean, this doesn't happen often. This is what you work for, and when you have it and you see it, you got to maintain it because it's a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage to those home court throughout. And then for the Jazz, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of guys that have played in a lot of tough playoff games, and they didn't go far last year in the playoffs. They should be ready for this grind here coming up. They're a young team. You know, to me, you go for it. You maintain that one spot, and I think it's crucial to have that going into the playoffs. 
Hanson and Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This segment brought to you by Zero Res. When you get the carpets and tile clean, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. $33 per room. Cleaned. Carpet or tile. April only. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. All right, PK. Baseball has announced that the Atlantic League is going to be experimenting with some new rules. Trying them out. If they work... The assumption is that uh, down the line somewhere, a year, two, three, whatever, we could be seeing them in Major League Baseball. And you have made a joke, a small, insignificant joke, but a joke nonetheless, multiple times about, hey, move the bag back at first place, and that'll get rid of the close plays. Well, they're not moving the bag bag back. They're moving the mound back from 60 feet, 6 inches to 61 feet, 6 inches, taking a couple miles an hour off the old fastball. And I won't bore you with all the numbers, but the story I read about it, they were going into how the strikeout rate has gone from 14% to 24% or whatever it is, and the home run rate's gone up. And basically, it's eliminated the in-between plays. You know, it's, it's eliminated long fly balls, doubles into the gap, uh, grounders where someone's got to make a diving stop and all that. They want the ball in play, not just the home run and not just the strikeout, which have become a larger piece of the game. So... You like it? You like? Is this the, the kind of rule tweak that baseball needs to put a little juice in the game? Probably the wrong word given baseball's history, but you know what I mean. Well, who are you appealing to, though? Because it sounds good. Yeah, let's get more action in the game. It's mm-hmm. slow, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it's a dying sport. There's no question about it. The average fan's 107 years old, as we know. And uh, for you, soccer is it. For Locke and the NBA is it, depending on you know where your interest is. That's where you're all excited about. But uh, who are you going to attract? Are you going to attract a whole new generation? Wow, they move the, ba- the pitcher's mound back a foot. And so, man, I'm going to be a baseball fan now. I-, I think baseball has its niche. And those who like it, like it. And those who don't, don't. And so if your team is winning, we see it every year. Uh, if your team's winning, uh, Chavez Ravine will be packed. <laughs> just the way it is in a normal season we know with the reduced capacity and all that stuff but going into a normal year I'm not sure it's going to make a difference it may be the fan who's already into the game may like it he or she may like it or he or she may not like it, but I don't know if you're going to attract new fans. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah, see, I don't think this is revolutionary, and I don't think for the people who think, baseball sucks! Well, you're not going to turn them around, so don't worry about it. But I think it can still make the game better. We've seen football tweak the rules uh, recent. Well, there have been a ton of rules about the passing game to make that more exciting, and so I kind of view it as that. I view this as kind of a small tweak the way moving the extra point back was. Nobody started watching the NFL because, hey, the extra points are longer now. But nonetheless, I think it was a good tweak of the rules. The the It was too routine, and now they get missed once in a while. It changes the math and the strategy at the end of the game. So I like it. And I think if this puts a few more balls in play, it's not going to eliminate home runs or strikeouts, but they don't need to be an overwhelming percentage. I just think baseball should be open to these small tweaks. They can make the game a little better. You know, 
basketball has been open to small tweaks. Um, legalizing the zone and getting rid of the illegal defense, it just made the game flow better, you know? And I think you have to adapt because now there's so much money. There's so many people sitting around trying to figure out how to, how to game the rules and find every little advantage. So if you have a chance to tweak a rule, whether it's baseball, football, or basketball, or whatever— and make the game a little better, go ahead and do it. I don't think the extra points has said zero difference in my life. Zero. Zero. No, zero. I can't recall any game that's been decided by that that mattered. Maybe some game October 10th or whatever. <laughs> but did it, did it change anything? Did it make any difference over the course of 16, now 17 games? I, I don't know that it did. I can't, I can't recall anything that has changed substantially or even a little because of some extra point being moved back. What did they move it back, 10 yards, 15 yards? I don't even know how long they moved it back. Uh, so what, what we, if, you, you, if you want to revolutionize kicking, I'm all for it in that if you want strategy, then you get three field goal attempts a game. Use them at your own discretion. But it's, the, the thing about it is that the, the kickers now – a 40-yard field goal was big. Well, now it's routine. Yep. So guys can kick 50, 55 yarders left and right and down the middle. <laughs> so uh, change it that way. I, I, cosmetic changes are just that. If you want significant changes, then then make them. If you want to make the game more exciting and more intrigue and adds a little strategy, I've been saying this for years. For give the you got three field goal attempts. Use them at your discretion. But having teams win 16 or 15 to 9 bores me to tears. But yet we see that. And so I think that needs changing. And I, just, with baseball, I'm okay with this. Try it. Give you, that's what the minor league is for. Because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Who cares? Yep. And, and guys are coming in throwing much harder now. You know, the days of the 6'9", 210-pound center in the NBA, are they're gone. <laughs> they are. And because guys are bigger now and they have more sophisticated training and they all have they make outrageous amounts of money they can hire their own chefs their own trainers they don't need anything to do in the off season except train they don't have to worry about a thing financially and they don't have to worry about a thing financially for the rest of their lives and their kids lives because they're making so much average players players who aren't worth a crap that will never remember are making over 20 million dollars a year and so uh, they have all these things at their disposal. So as, why as opposed, not look at, at that? As opposed to an era that our dads lived in where an MVP had to take a job in the offseason to make ends meet. Yeah. Roy Campanella, three-time MVP, uh, worked in a liquor store in the offseason. I think he owned it, didn't he? Oh, did he? I don't know that. Yeah, I yeah. thought he worked in it. Uh, I didn't know he owned it. Maybe he I'm did. I'm not sure about yeah. that. But, uh, yeah, so it's got guys substitute teaching and yeah. going back on a farm and whatever it might be. Yeah, you can and still do that if you want. Aaron Rodgers doing Jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> right. Now but, it's take a week off and, uh, and yeah. you're back in the weight room. Yeah. And so the, you know, the proverbial bigger, stronger, faster and all that stuff, it's there. So I appreciate these leagues trying to, to tweak rules for making it better. I just don't know that uh, that's – that's the answer to, to draw more folks in. And there, there needs to be – I mean, they messed around with the ball last year. Home runs were going around like crazy, and now they've toned down the ball. Well, uh, the home run is the ultimate excitement, right? And so Chicks Dig the Long Ball, that commercial with the Braves pitcher years ago. Yeah, 20 years and ago. And so that was a big deal then and all that stuff. It was, it was a saying, and 
but th- that doesn't mean you don't try to keep doing stuff. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You can always go back. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. He's an hour away right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. So for those of you just joining us now in the 7 o'clock hour, we had a rip-roaring discussion about this new college transfer rule. Much anticipated, much expected. We've had multiple coaches talking about it like it was a foregone conclusion. I think Kyle Whittingham and these availabilities during spring football has brought it up or had it. Either he's brought it up or he's been asked about it at least a couple times. Uh, Everyone thinks it's going to happen. And now here it is. It's happening. And PK, you were bringing up, hey, there's going to be intended consequences. There's going to be unintended consequences. And one of the things people have been worrying about or I don't know if they're worrying about it. Maybe they are worrying about it. Maybe they got a kid who's a ninth grader and thinking, we got a shot. Wait, is this going to mess it up? Is my kid going to get a scholarship? So I guess some people are worried about it. Others are uh, at least doing the math. What's going to happen to this high school athlete? How many coaches are going to pass on the high school kid to get a transfer from some other school? But simple math here, there's 130 D1 football programs, right? There's 66 or whatever playing Power 5. And they get 25 scholarships per year and 85 total. Aren't there going to be 85 scholarship football players at 130 schools, regardless of what the transfer rules are? Aren't the same number of kids going to end up with scholarships? Now, in the short run, and Kyle's brought this up, it could impact these kids right now because they're giving all the kids who are in school a bonus year. So for a couple of years, while all that shakes out, yeah, some high school kids are going to get squeezed. But I think that's the impact given a bonus year in the pandemic. That's not because of the transfer rule. At the end of the day, we're not going to have more high school kids. I guess if your dream is to go to one specific school, you can definitely get squeezed then. 100% you can get squeezed. But as far as if you're a D1 football player, there's still the same number of schools and the same number of scholarships. It's just the squeezes on now because of the pandemic. What's the point? So then that's not something to worry about. When we start talking about intended, unintended consequences, we had a couple people on our Facebook page bring that up, but I don't think that's something to sweat in the long run. It's something to sweat in the short run of your class of 2021 and class of 2022 because you got all these super seniors. Oh, yeah, but I don't know that they'll uh, continue to have 85 scholarships and all that stuff. That could change. So that could be another a whole other thing to worry about. I mean, the number of uh, athletic programs, uh, particularly for men, are being reduced and not added. And a lot of junior colleges have stopped playing football. And so, and, and that's that's already out there, though. I mean, the, and kids who need junior college, uh, either because they're not talented or they don't have the finances and what have you, and they could use junior college football as a springboard. In many cases, that, that that's been reduced greatly. Uh, so that yeah, that I think problem. that's been reduced by the transfers and all that. Kyle's talked about that on his signing day press conferences that they don't recruit JCs the way they used to. Yeah. So they're the, filling the gaps with transfers. That problem already exists. Uh, I think that it's more of a perception as far as just being a a feeder system and the gap between the have and the have-nots. If you're in the haves, you don't really care. And if you're in the have-nots trying to 
stay where you're at or get better, well, that's a problem because it could be slipping. You know, there's already been talk about why doesn't the group of five form their own and have their own title playoff system and whatnot. Well, that just screams second class then. And the dream, which is alive in basketball, even if it's just that, it's still there. And the dream in football then would be cut off. And so you would be uh, labeled uh, as a secondary player. Who wants to be labeled that? Nobody. That's why it hasn't happened. That's why those leagues, the group of five, hasn't formed a playoff. Because the dream is alive, and they don't want to label themselves second class by doing that. Yeah, even if it's a sliver of a dream, it's like I'm going to win the lottery, okay? <laughs> yeah. And people continue to play the, pay the, play the lottery and buy the tickets and thinking that's it. For, for years, our family and Christmas has given each other lottery tickets. I look at them like, why don't you just give me the, the five bucks? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. It's just a waste. <laughs> you know, you're not going to win anything on that. And so the odds are astronomical against your favorites. Same deal here, but at least it's still a dream. I think the perception is something that college football needs to be aware of, of that uh, is we're really getting to a few elite here, and the rest of you, forget it. We just don't care. And, and, I, and I think it's probably going to come to that anyway. And, that the, and I wonder if it will even be within conferences, if the conferences will look at, oh, why do we need these schools at the bottom who are never competitive? You know, Mark Few has complained about that from the Gonzaga standpoint for years, and the West Coast Conference has tried to tweak itself every which way. And uh, so I wonder, in really you wonder what the face of college athletics is going to look like in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, will it be, that, uh, you know, like in why, – why go through these things that you're all together in these conferences when some of these schools bring nothing and somebody like a Gonzaga basketball can bring a ton? So could they just have different conferences for different sports and it's not all in one umbrella? So I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg there and we're going to see all sorts of changes going forward uh, and this being one of them. And then, you know, what, what's going to happen once these kids get actual – actually get income how's that going to be income above board that they'll have to pay taxes on and all that stuff how's that going to change i mean there's untold number of things that i don't know that we can imagine well what what you said as far as why do we need these schools what do they bring um there's already multiple examples of that um i think people in the whack said that about the uh, about UTEP, and UTEP wasn't in the Mountain West. And I think that attitude is a part of what drove the way the ACC rated the Big East. And there's been plenty of speculation about the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Basically, you know, merging, taking the top teams off of... May, maybe one league takes the top off the other league. I mean, that's kind of what was going on when Utah got in. Um, you know, if, if the Texas schools... If Texas and Oklahoma had come and brought their friends, you know, Texas Tech and uh, Oklahoma State and whoever, then Utah doesn't get in. Right. And there's been talk about, you know, okay, would USC go independent and would the top of the Pac-12 then join the Big 12? It's all kind of speculative and it seems far-reaching. But what we learned from the last round of conference expansion is everything's speculative and far-reaching and just kind of talk until it isn't. 
and then there's a lot of shakeup, and you can barely keep track of all the players who are moving. Yeah, and I and I, there's been talk of uh, the Arizona's going to the Big yeah. Twelve yep. because obviously they're closer in alignment. And then you hear, well, do I want my uh, whatever women's tennis team traveling? Nope. 2,000 miles. You really don't. Oh, well, then you, then you take that and put it in someplace else. I give you Hawaii and the Mountain West. They put everything in the Big West, which is, you know, the flight right to L.A., instead of putting them all in the Mountain West, and now all of a sudden you got to go to Fort Collins and Laramie. Good luck with well, that. Well, yeah, I think what you'll end up having is why do we even have these teams? So they go away. History, yeah, history and tradition is why you have them. But there's two programs generating money, and then – at some schools, there's maybe a third that breaks even. Maybe they generate a little bit of money. And everybody else costs money. And it was originally, hey, we need this as part of the academic experience, but the mindset's changing, and it's about making the money. Well, if Stanford can drop programs, Stanford, the greatest overall athletic program in the history of college sports, Yep. when you include all that other stuff, and they're dropping programs. That to me, that was a real eyebrow raiser. Wait a second, you know, I've been to Stanford a million times over, and you go over to their tennis facility, and they just list all these people. <laughs> well, their swimming program. I mean, all yeah. these Olympians, and you know, on and on and on. And they, they, what did that? The Rector's Cup spiel, or whatever yep. it's called. Yep. I mean, they just own that thing year after year after year. And we saw here the women's basketball beating Arizona to win a ton of the first title since 92. But nevertheless, they've got a great, great program and have had it for a number of years. So the point being, if Stanford can do away with some programs, then the rest of you can too. So well, the, you wonder yeah, the where thing, it's going. The thing about Stanford and the reason to wonder where it's going is that a lot of times when you hear it, it's, it's financially driven, right? They say they don't have the money for program XYZ, and then they cite Title IX and all that. Stanford... And having read a couple of stories on this, Stanford had rich parents. I know Stanford has rich parents. Everyone's shocked, right? Stanford has rich parents who says, we will not pay for these. We will endow these programs. And Stanford has said no. I know. They can't even get on the agenda at the meetings. I don't get it. And I mean, it's a bottom line. Stanford doesn't want those programs. They don't want them. Which is shocking to me. <laughs> they literally don't want them. And there's speculation about why they don't want them, but nobody has really said why. And there's one theory, well, they want more high-end students and high-end international students because the fencing team doesn't do anything for them in the long run, and they want to get these elite uh, students who are going to be elites 30 years down the road donating back to Stanford. You know, and they want the next secretary of state and they want the next person who's going to create not just a business, but an industry out of nothing. You know, whatever the next Microsoft is 30 years down the road. And they want that. And they've only got their six or seven thousand students, whatever it is. And they want those they want those spots back. They don't want to set this many spots aside. That's one theory out there. I don't know what it is. But when the parents are saying we got the money and we'll endow it and they can't even get on the agenda. Well, then what is the agenda? <laughs> what the heck are you worried about? Because most, mostly we're talking about state schools that don't have these kind of resources. I'll say the wrestling program raised $36 yeah. million. They could fund most right. of the sports on what they fundraise. You know, at the other end of the spectrum, there's this uh, football organization. They send out the National Football Foundation, and they send out these emails all the time. And they constantly spotlight every year about how there's more schools playing football than ever. And that a lot of these small private schools, especially not in our part of the country, but in the Midwest, I guess, and in the South, 
they had a football team, kids want to play, and they give them some financial aid, but they're not full-ride scholarships, and they're growing their student body and making money off them. Yes. And so there's more schools than ever playing. Now, the number of D1 schools has gone up because like 10 or 20 years ago it was 120, and now it's 130. You know, the Georgia Southerns and the UMasses of the world move up. UConn starts a program. Um, But these lower-level schools are adding them. So I guess it's going to depend on what kind of school it is and what you want. But the schools that we follow that are the real athletic factories, I mean, to your point, why do Bama and Ohio State want a fill-in-the-blank Olympic sport team? Because what's driving those athletic departments is largely football. Eh, basketball, sure, you know, and there are basketball schools like Kansas. But, man, you get beyond that. You know, in the SEC, and you talk to anybody in college athletics and administration, the SEC wants to be awesome in the sports they play. They, they got a lot of money, but they don't play that many sports. You know, there's an NCAA minimum, and they are maybe four to six sports over the minimum. You know, the, 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 the broad-based stuff, those 25, 30, 35 sports you're talking about at Stanford, yeah, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 do that, but the SEC wants no part of it. Clemson plays the absolute bare minimum. Bare minimum, yeah. yes. And they're pumping all the money into football. They focus it on football. Yeah. So to PK's point, if the NCAA cuts the minimum by two sports, <laughs> what's Clemson going to do? They're going to drop gonna two, sports. two sports. They're not out of money. Just putting it all into football. That really does piss me off. I don't know why, but it just does. Uh, so rich get richer, and you didn't grow up rich, and so anytime there's any sniff of that, you turn your nose up. Like, that sucks. I am the little guy. I want to see the little guy succeed. A little guy to have an opportunity. And you talk about all those schools back east. and mm-hmm. it's, you, didn't, you didn't mention east. You mentioned Midwest and south. It's also in the east. east. I mean, my sister went to a school. It's now called Rowan because the guy donated money to me, and they changed the freaking name from Glassboro State. And you talk to anybody who went to Glassboro State, it just gets under their skin big time. It's not called Glassboro State. Well, they have a Division three football program, and it's a big, big deal back there. And for those kids who get that opportunity, to me, that's what it's about. That's it's like it's the purest form of football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, They're not going to the NFL. No. They're not going to the NFL. But they're hard-nosed kids who bust their yeah. butts just the same. And they get an opportunity to play for a few extra years. you know, And they, and they form lifetime friendships and all that stuff. It sounds hokey, but it's true. And you'd hate to see that stuff go away. I hate to see any sport go away. It doesn't matter what it is. And more sports, particularly at the high school level. Why in the hell do they not have a high school boys volleyball around here? That just makes no sense to me. What? Why? What's? What, you're all things to all people. Why? No why idea. Why do we have high school bo- volleyball? No idea. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, that they didn't have that. Uh, like the Jake Gibb plays on the. He's a little bit older now, but for years he played on the beach volleyball tour, and they didn't have high school. He didn't play high school volleyball because they didn't have it. He went to the U of U and they didn't have it, so he didn't play there. And he used to. He used to laugh when they, they always make these big introductions on the beach. Karch Karai, three-time Olympian, three-time NCAA <laughs> champion, blah, 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 blah. Jake Gibb, one of 11 kids. <laughs> well, of course, you know, after a while, then he was an Olympian and, and then became a big-time volleyball player. I've seen him play in person a number of times when I've been down there. And, so, and they actually use his picture on the hang the murals around whether it's at Hermosa or Manhattan or wherever they're playing, you know, the AVP 
and so he became a superstar there. But in the beginning, he used to joke that that's what they would introduce him. That was his claim to fame. <laughs> he was like the, the youngest of 11 children or something like that. I, f- I forget what he told me. Uh, so to me, I want more opportunities, not less. But I'm a, I, I, And it doesn't I don't have any kids doing that, so I have no personal stake in it. I just want generally. Uh, but it worries me that there concerns me anyway that – opportunities are going to be denied, even if it means it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And if you go to the games or matches or meets or whatever they are, it's just a few family and friends. So what? To them, it's a big deal. My son played high school tennis. And like you say, that, you know, today's attendance, 37, you know, and it was definitely a couple of buddies, a few parents and ditto for the other team. Uh, but I think the the advantages of being in a group, something that you're you're working on, and you're working yeah. on it as a group, and you know the there, there was stuff he'd do, and you know you, you win, you lose. How well do you control your temper? And the coaches were good at talking to him about that. You know, everything can't come from me. It's great to have other role models. You know, teachers, parents, you know, leaders in whatever activity. You know, non athletic. Uh, that your kids might be involved in. What is this control your temper you speak of? <laughs> Good one. All right, when we come back, Craig Bowlerjack and then Joe Ingles at 9 o'clock. Jazz talk coming up. Wow, two days off. I guess for the guys who sat, three days off for Joe. We'll talk with him about that and about to getting fresh here for the playoff push. We will talk with Joe coming up at 9. Bowler's next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack. Bowler, good morning. DJ, PK, how are you? Good. Good. How are the Jazz? They looked a little tired. There was a lot yeah. of talk about that. You're not around them as much, obviously, COVID protocols. So, you know, you're at the top of the lower bowl and... You're not to be, you know, sitting down in some room yakking with them like you might in another year doing a pregame interview with Quinn or whatever. Now you gotta you gotta zoom those like we zoom everything else too. So it's a little different, but you still probably have a sense of it. How critical are these two days off, and how gassed were those guys who uh, who got to sit over the course of that back to back? They had what four or five guys sit. Yeah, yeah, they had uh, Joe and Clarkson and. uh, Royce? Let's see, and Royce, Royce. and so Conley I sat think, the night before. Yeah, I think you know it was good. Uh, I think Royce, you know, obviously it's good. Maybe just a step back. He's been struggling from the three. Take a breath. Uh, Joe rests, you know, rest the knee. Um, so and Clarkson's what four games with the ankle. So it, I think it's good. I mean, George Niang in the post game interview that we had, you know, he said he was looking forward to it. In a big time way, and I, I think everybody is. They played a lot of basketball, and you know a lot of back to backs and a lot of four games and six nights. Look, I'm broadcasting, and I, I was glad they had these two days off. But you know, nothing like going out and playing. Uh, luckily, they've been home, which helps, I think, <clears throat> because the travel was, uh, you know, it, it, you could you know mark the the the, uh, the travel off this week, but. Look, it's been a long season, but in the, in but it's it's compacted. It's you know you're playing 72 games in a much shorter period of time, trying to get everything fit in. Look, we'd be in the playoffs right now if this was you know quote normal, right? And uh, we're already nearly into May, and you know the, the playoffs start the 22nd. The last game of the season's on May 16th, 
So there's still a long ways to go, but things are beginning to sort themselves out. You know, and you asked the question about down the road, uh, you know, will we see this more? I'm sure. I mean, yesterday some GMs came out to say that the the way the schedule's been put together and the games coming at teams fast and furious has elevated some of the injury levels of what's happened in the league, especially after the ACL tear by, by Jamal Murray. So there may be something to that. Only players can answer that question. I know you got Joe coming up. What do you say, DJ? I'm the warm-up act today. Is that right? That's you are good. the warm-up act. Yeah, I like that. Joe, are you listening? I like that. I'm like the starter. This is, you know, I'm like, you know, warming up the the crowd for the for the main the main attraction. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> you say the playoffs start at May 22nd. Is that that's not the Jazz playoffs though? Is that the the play-in the, that they have with the seven and eight and eight and nine? Do you know, or does that you know, start earlier? So the Jazz start the 22nd. I think that that actually is probably a, a Thursday. I don't know, PK. I'm guessing. All I, I'm looking at the numbers on what you know, you know, it's going to be the 16th, the last game, 22nd. I'm guessing like a Thursday or a Tuesday. However, they want to do it with TNT, uh, obviously leading the way with with broadcast. Uh, those playing games, the Jazz, if they hold on to the one seed, may not know their opponent until obviously two days prior, which yeah. will be really um, <laughs> probably for Quinn. Ah, nothing new. The way the last two seasons have gone, the bubble um, and the playoffs there, and now the playoffs already coming back again at you. So uh, I don't think anything surprises head coaches in this league anymore because things just happen almost in an overnight way. But, yeah, those play-in games, uh, they could really impact the Jazz not knowing who they play until uh, the last, you know, two days of the season. So the Jazz then would have good four or five days off before they start. Maybe I think so. I think days. most of the league would, except for the, the, the those four teams that they're going to try to get playing, you know, opportunities to. Okay. So I think uh, what Mark Cuban wasn't ran, Luca weren't real happy about that just a few nights ago as they're you know hovering in that seven spot. Uh, so I think you'll still see some movement there. You know, don't know what the status is um, in the long run. I think it's a week now for LeBron and maybe two for uh, AD with the Lakers. But those are a couple of teams we've talked about before, PK, where I'm not sure the Lakers care or the Clippers or the Nets. Nets are making their move, uh, even though they, they, they set, what, Harden and KD last night. I think Kyrie played, and I think also Blake Griffin set. So, it could happen. I mean, I think this is just one of those seasons where, you know, a player needs the rest mentally. You know, it's more than – it's physical and mental. And so it could happen, absolutely. So the season ends May 16, which is a Sunday. The play-in tournament is May 18 to 21. So that's Tuesday through Friday. So even the playing teams get Monday off, which, they you know, they'll have to travel probably. Right. right? Someone's going to have to, obviously. Maybe both teams will. Uh, the the traditional playoffs, the one through eight series, those start May twenty two, and usually that's a Saturday. So usually four series start on Saturday, four on Sunday. So the Jazz will go from Sunday to either the following Saturday or Sunday without playing. You know, uh, DJ PK, I believe that if you are the top seed team, I believe 
that you have the luxury of an extra day. So that could actually begin on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know that you'd want it after you've already been on five days. Yeah, I don't know. The way things, you know, you may say, well, if you got an injury, it's a great thing. But if you want to play and you're playing well, having a whole week off after playing every other day or the multiple back-to-backs, I don't know. It's uh, Joe would know. Uh, I think, you know, a couple, three days would be awesome. But then you kind of want to just continue and, and get to it. Because uh, I'm looking at the schedule, too. They play their last two games on the road, Oklahoma City and Sacramento. So they're going to have to come home, you know, after two, three days, a Friday-Sunday uh, road series. One of the developments that I've liked here as we've moved uh, into the second half and down the stretch of the season is Bogdanovich going to the basket. And then sometimes he does it with reckless abandon, and I am all for it because yep. I figure that if he regains his shooting touch from the perimeter, which he's shown obviously signs of doing it, and now has that confidence to put the ball on the floor and not get it stripped and find his way to the bucket or to the free throw line. And the other night he was 10 for 10 from the line. That's just a positive. So I'm looking for that to continue going down the stretch and into the postseason, even if he's hitting from the outside. Why not continue to do that? Because that's been an effective weapon. Totally agree. I think, uh, you know, both Thurl and and Matt have told me, look, and I think we all kind of know when you're struggling, what do you do? You want to see the ball go in. So Bokey uses his body, and I, that's the one thing that surprised me when the Jazz you know, signed him was we all knew him and we saw him, saw him as an opponent, as a three-point shooter, but he really has the NBA body to go inside and finish, and I think he's starting, starting to realize that more and more. And if you're struggling from outside, go to, go to the next level of what, what works. And then start inside, work your way back out. But he's really been able to mix – uh, the last couple of games, he had 33 against the Wizards in that loss. He had 23 um, against OKC. So there's signs that you know he's gaining more confidence. He's still fell on the wrist. I still think the wrist plays in his head a little bit. Uh, you know, he looks at it. Um, you know, he stretches it a lot. But look, it takes a long time uh, to come back from injury like that. That's your your right hand, your shooting hand. And you're always kind of, I think, in the now of where it is. And if it's got a twing, you know, it can it can play mind games with you. But I think he's a big piece of going forward. You get another guy that is more confident and also starting to put up double did you know double digit twenty point games. Uh, and they didn't have him in the bubble. And everyone always talks about that trying to beat uh, after up three one on Denver. Didn't have Bogdanovich in Orlando. And so this is just another big piece, a uh, uh, part of you know the drive to the finish. Hope he stays consistent because it's it's been a tough year for him, up and down, and he's starting to show shot signs of, I think, just finding that confidence that you have to have. The West isn't quite as uh, jumbled as it was. I'm not convinced there's going to be a lot of movement because I think a lot of teams are going to have to rest guys. There's so many back-to-backs the rest of the way. So I'm kind of thinking that the West is pretty much set. Maybe the Lakers catch the Nuggets for four, but that's 4-5, so it would be the same matchup, just flipping home court advantage. Do you see anybody who's likely to make a move? Is there anything you're really watching down the stretch, or are we going to finish where we are? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, you know, I was thinking Dallas was, uh, maybe had a punch or two left. And then I really thought Denver would be the same, but now with a Jamal Murray injury, 
man, that really tosses things into the air. Um, Portland's Portland. I mean, it's just kind of the way it seems to be with Damian Lillard and, and McCollum in the backcourt. I love I love the way they play, but it's just hard for them to hit that that next level. Uh, Lakers. I don't. Again, I don't know. PK, I think you and I talked about this a week or so ago. I'm not sure they care where they are uh, just because of who they are and the way LeBron approaches the playoffs. You know, he'll, he wants to be in high gear, and we'll see how healthy Anthony Davis is, uh, you know, calf and, and Achilles actually, how it holds up. But, you know, Phoenix is still a team that the Jazz, you know, they're a game and a half out. They could, they could steal the, the top seed away. Um, they're good. They're good. They're fast. And I think that's the one thing, you know, that, that has been the one Achilles for the Jazz is just keeping up with, with backcourt, you know, with speed. We saw it with Beal and Westbrook. You know, there's a lot of similarities the way Chris Paul and, and Booker play on running downhill. Transition defense is always something Quinn's preaching. And I think that's going to be obviously a, a big factor in how, how successful the Jazz will be. But talk about how these teams don't worry about where they finish. And I'm wondering, why wouldn't the Jazz? I mean, of course you want the one one seed. But if it doesn't happen, and because they maybe rest a guy or two or what have you, and Phoenix gets it, okay, so you got it. Good good yeah. for you. But why wouldn't, we, why wouldn't we say, why would the Jazz be so concerned with it, too? I think it's at home court, which plays into the hands of the Jazz. And look what they've done at home this season. Uh, you know, they've had the three losses but PK, I still think you know the Jazz have a huge uh, advantage with this fan base and the energy they bring. Um, you know, it also and again, you make a good, interesting point though. If if the Lakers, it all depends on how everything falls one eight, and then you know how the second round you know matches up. What if the Lakers you know are a four and they jump up, and then the Jazz have to play LA in the second round? So what if the second? What if the two seed played into their favor? You know, who knows? But, uh, you know, sooner or later, you just have to come to realization in the Western Conference especially, any team you play, uh, there's six teams out there that have potential to win it in the West. And that's the thing that really, I think, tells the tale of how good the West is and how every night you have to be on your game. Uh, There's no letdowns. There's no nights off. And especially the second half of the season because – uh, most of the teams that Jazz are playing are out of the West. I'm having a problem getting worked up for any of the debate about these individual awards. The Jazz are the one seed. How far can they go? Can mm-hmm. they get back to the finals for the first time in more than 20 years? To me, those questions are so compelling. I'm having any problem working up any enthusiasm for coach of the year, player of the year, or a defensive player of the year, blah, blah, blah. This other question is so fascinating. I just... I can't get into the other stuff. Am I alone? Am I an outlier? Well, Ben Simmons will tell you who's the defensive player of the year. <laughs> so, no, you know, look, there's so much, you know, going back to the championship is something that's been in the Jazz minds for a long time. And now ownership, Ryan Smith, that's something that's on his mind as well. Um you know, last year, let's just go back a year where the Jazz were hyped nationally to be the team, and it didn't work out that way. This year, they can't get a lot of love because uh, the focus is on the Nets, the focus is on the Lakers, the Clippers, but the Jazz are still the, the, the top team in the NBA. And, and you know, I tune in to national broadcasts, and there isn't a lot to be said. 
about the success of this franchise at this moment, and there's still doubters about Rudy Gobert and Donovan. Uh, I'm sure Joe will tell you that that's a motivator. I mean, down deep, it's got to be. So that's what I, you know, look, it's going to work itself out, whoever is the award winner, right, in all these categories. The real focus is, you know, where where you finish in the sense of, you know, the Western Conference, can you win it, and can you actually find yourself back with a shot to win a championship? And I love this team because it is a team. Uh, they've got, you know, two great stars and what Mike Conley brings uh, and what Joe brings. And, uh, you know, it's it's intriguing to see how far they can go with depth. You know, they, they've started to show they've got some players that can that can use their minutes when they're asked to get on the get on the floor. I mean, Brantley the other night was a beast. and I'm glad he got minutes to show showcase who he is. And Mieoni continues to develop, and Niang, uh, who started horrific this season. When we talked to him, I mean, he was in the 19 percent in the 20s shooting threes, and now he's, you know, really found his game, which will obviously play into the Jazz hands for another three-point shooter. So, yeah, you know, you can get caught up in all the awards, but the bottom line is, win it, win it, and I think that's what the Jazz are more focused on than they are on on individual awards. Speaking of win it, a DJ scoffs at me, but they're they're bearing down on winning and clinching the Northwest Division, and I just think that it should be a big deal. And he continually mocks it, man. They've held hung banners, and now with the Jamal Murray injury, this pretty well cinches that the Jazz are going to win the Northwest Division. And I love the fact that you laugh, Bowler, because I've already won. You're the man, Bowler. Thanks for backing me up. But you know what, though? I can hear PK sarcasm, too. I mean, <laughs> he didn't care about the division title when there were four, and now he's making a big deal when yeah, there's six. Yeah. They, no. They've no, got it, and they've hung about, banners, man. Look, it's about the banners. I get it, PK. Wrap yourself in the banner, right? Yeah. Northwest Division champion. I, I mean, I believe you should be emceeing it when that goes into rafters. <laughs> Tina Turner, simply the best. Yeah, yeah play it. The best. Yeah, there it goes, up up in the rafters. Look, it's the first step, right, PK? That's what you're saying. The first step. It's one, it's That's a, a downgrade. Step. That's then a downgrade. They've got the divisions, and I'm not going to ignore them. If, they've, they're, they're, <laughs> if they were worthy of being ignored, we wouldn't have them. <laughs> you're going, Glenn, close. I will not uh, be ignored, Michael. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I haven't either, but that that scene and that line, that'll stay with you. <laughs> and I'd like to put DJ in a boiling pot on the <laughs> See, you don't have to see the movie to get a couple of the references. Now, it's going to change my whole day. I just did it right there. The boiling, the rabbit, oh, the coming, water. Coming out of the tub with the knife, I jumped about oh. 10 feet. <laughs> Boy, I don't have to. I don't have to see the movie again. No, PK, there it I, is. I just replayed it right there. All right, uh, Bowler. Vision, man. Bowler, we will let you go. You have warmed up the audience for Joe Ingles. You are yeah. the man. Well, you know, I did my best. I played that solo guitar. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll play the guitar on the way out and the drum solo later. But uh, yeah, Joe's ready. The stage is set, and it's, it's Joe Ingles' time. It's Jingles' time. <laughs> Thanks, Bowler. All right, guys. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hang with us. Joe's coming up in a few minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Our friend Dirk Facer on with us. Spring ball wrapping up with Utah. How open is the quarterback competition going to be in fall camp? It really depends on Cam Rising's health. If he's not good to go with that shoulder, then I don't think there's a competition at all. Just like spring ball, Charlie Brewer's getting most of the reps. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens this fall based on Rising's health. They're saying right now it's going to be an open competition. You know, in this world of Zoom conferences and not being able to watch practice, I guess we've got to take them at their word it's an open competition, but the Brewers statistics have got a great insurance policy there. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, working from home or with a hybrid workforce. Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. You see this breaking news? What do we got? LaMarcus Aldridge is retiring? No, I did not. Yeah. He has an irregular heartbeat. Oh. Well. If you look on his Twitter, and I assume it's legitimate. It's got a blue check mark. It is his Twitter feed. Going better now, I felt with my heart that night was still one of the scariest things that I said. With that being said, I made the decision to retire from the NBA. Wow. Right decision, man, <laughs> if he has any concern about that. <laughs> and obviously 15 years in the league, that's a phenomenal career he's had. Made a ton of money, but if you got that situation there, that's pretty scary. So, uh, And if you look at his uh, Twitter picture, what they call that thing, your uh, – Avatar. Uh-huh. It's a picture of two young boys. I assume those are his children. I don't yeah. know that. It might have been him when he was a kid. But uh, anyway, there's obviously things that are far more important than playing hoop. And if you've got that situation with your health, go ahead and do that and take care of yourself. So he's uh, out for the Nets there. And, and the Nets have just had one wacky season, man. Oh, my gosh. And, and a good one. They have had, they're putting together a really good year, but they cannot keep anything resembling a team on the floor. Now, partly, they've been adding guys all year, so they've been doing it themselves, but even once they add them, these guys are just playing here and playing there, and they have one of their big three, and they go out and get Aldridge, and he's gone. I mean, what, they've had a three, right, three big names since the season started because they added Harden. They brought... Uh, well, Marcus Griffin, Aldridge, Aldridge. I mean, in, in secondary roles, but they are bigger names, I'll grant right. you. Yeah. Harden is still a very good player. Harden's one of the big three. That, yeah. I think Harden was actually playing the probably the as well as any time I had seen him play. And obviously he has some big time offensive years there. So you you wonder with all this mishmash that they've been going through, how could they possibly get it together? But for them it's not necessarily exclusively about this season anyway. I mean if they win the title next year, that's just as well. Uh, yeah. and you'd have to think they'd be a contender next year. Uh, with all the talent that they have. But uh, Mark Soldier is stepping down, stepping aside, retiring. Uh, 15 years is a long time, so uh, I'm sure it's somewhat bittersweet, but he got to experience a lot in mostly Portland and San Antonio uh, coming out of uh, University of Texas, I think it was, where he played. So uh, uh, good, good for him for making that decision to – take care of himself there I say if he says it's scary that could only mean one thing it was scary <laughs> right it scary yeah uh he says it says uh later on after the game my heart rhythm got even worse which really worried me even more the next morning i told the team what was going on and they were great getting me to the hospital and getting me checked out 
Yeah, when you're dealing with that, man, basketball, secondary. What's the next word? Tertiary? What is it for four? Fourth wear? I don't know. The point is, <laughs> the point is it's way down the list. Let's make up some words, PK. Let's go. You know, we were talking about this a week ago about trying to figure out of the playoffs, how teams match up, and he said at the time, but you know, the NBA history tells you there's going to be more injuries going forward, so no matter what we think, we're going to have to readjust for a team because they're going to lose somebody. It, it happens. It happened all the way into the NBA Finals with the Warriors, and it's happened in other playoff series with other teams. And, and that was like a week ago, and since then... We've had Jamal Murray tear his ACL, and now LaMarcus Aldridge, who, you know, as you point out, he's, he's not the star. He's a rotation guy at this point. Um, but that's, that's two major changes right there, and who knows what's coming in the next month before the playoffs start. And who knows what will happen once we get to the playoffs. I mean, I think when LeBron gets back, he'll probably be healthy because his injury, you know, getting stepped on, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a one-time deal, and when he's... When he's healthy, he'll be healthy and he'll be ready to go. But I look at Anthony Davis's injury and think, well, there have been examples of other guys who've rested, come back, but re-injured themselves. And whether it's the Achilles again or whether, like we're seeing Durant have all these hamstring injuries coming back from the Achilles, and i got to think that somehow they're related. You know, it's something else going to be impacted. I expect LeBron will be healthy, but I don't know what to say about AD. Well, LeBron's LeBron, man. He's the ultimate I mean, seeing him out on the floor on that time was just shocking because we've never seen that. This guy's been indestructible. He's a massive human being, and he's been so durable. He's been everything you could possibly want in a basketball player. I don't think you can say anything other than that as far as his on-court ability and just everything that he brings to the actual game. And I don't give a crap about his politics. It's by, I'm a fan of his for the what he does on the floor, and it's unbelievable to see him on the ground was just stunning. So I have to believe that he's using this time to – it's going it, to double-edged sword here. He's getting healthy and getting rested. So, man, you talk about come out uh, blazing. I suspect that that's what he's going to do. Anthony Davis has been injury-prone his entire career, and I'm not sure what's going on there, but some guys have that issue. Look at Dante Exum, right? I mean, that kid can't catch a break health-wise to save his life. And every time you turn around, he's been down. And now it's more than just a – a coincidence it's it's a common occurrence davis isn't to that level but davis has had injury issues too so you have to suspect that maybe not in the playoff but down the line he's going to have injury issues again whereas lebron is the ultimate durable player all right dj and pk joe ingles is next stay with us dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone twitter is just Absolutely exploding now as everyone reacts to the news that LaMarcus Aldridge is retiring. An irregular heartbeat felt it in, uh, in a game. Then it was even worse after the game. Went to the doctor the next morning. Thankful for all the memories. You never know when something will come to an end, so make sure you enjoy it every day. I can truly say I did just that. 15 years, and he's, like I think, uh, just a few points short of 20,000. It's an awesome career right there, PK, and it just ends in a snap of the figures. Uh, yeah, <laughs> something cropped up, and away you go, and you got to go with the, the right decision, and it looks like uh, it's a right decision and possibly could come back if they took care of it. But he is 35 years old, and the comps, and he, I don't think he's really won anything of any substance, but... Uh, he's one individual, and I don't think he's a Hall of Fame player, but he's been a very good player and at, t- at times an elite player. You got that situation. 
It seems like it's the right thing to do. I mean, Chris Bosch, I forget what his issue was, but didn't he have something along those lines? I think he had a blood clot. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, he had a blood clot. He had blood clot issues, yeah. And uh, he shut it down for a while, but never came back. It turned out that was that was it for him. So you yeah. do never know. All right. Well, Joe will join us here in a uh, a few moments. We'll get uh, we'll get Joe Ingles on the air. The rest of you can uh, hit us up on Twitter about Lamarcus Aldridge. You can also hit us up about the question of the day. College players are going to get the one time free transfer. We are getting a lot of feedback on that as uh, people join us throughout the morning. Ryan just said we should allow it for high school as well. They're still where colleges and the uh, the waiver thing. I mean, basically they have it. I don't think very many things get challenged anymore. Uh, Kids are moving around all the time in high school. But Ryan wants more. Well, high school can get really dirty. I mean, it has been for many, many years. Parents taking an apartment in another district yep. or another zone, whatever the boundary, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, and, and they don't intend to live there. And I mean, the ultimate was, uh, I've said this many times when I was down in California, John Walsh, who was in West Torrance, which was two miles from the beach, going to Carson to play football, and then they win the city title. And he had guys that went on to play Nebraska, and Carson was a football power at that time. And uh, then they win it uh, on a Saturday, and Monday he's back at school in Torrance. <laughs> he didn't even stay the end of the semester. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and the CIF governing body stepped in, and he didn't allow him to play baseball uh, that spring. This was so bogus, and uh, he, and he got a scholarship to BYU in in, in the almighty uh, pursuit of a scholarship, and and it worked for him there. He didn't play professionally, I don't think. I think he's. Well, last I heard, he was back in the South Bay coaching. Uh, so I mean that that's been out there forever. You're you're never going to change that, and, and and everybody goes through it, and you're you're a parent, you think you're doing what's best, and there's no rule book or guide on being. Parents. Oh my gosh! And it's just it's just. You try to do what's best, and sometimes you're overzealous, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. So there you go. You think what you're doing is best, and you just hope it works out. In some cases it does, and some cases a, it doesn't. As a young parent, that was one of the first things I learned. It occurred to me, wait a minute. My parents are bluffing the whole time. There's no rule book. They don't know what they're doing. It's, well, this seems like it's best, so let's go with this. <laughs> hey, I'm learning this right now, yeah, gentlemen. No, your parents are just making stuff up. I thought they knew what they were doing. I've got doing. two kids under the age of five, and I am just making it up as I go along, I feel like, half the time. Yeah, parenthood isn't anything that I have any uh, right to comment on, so there you go. Matt says it's a job, so they can go wherever they want. They're all one-year contracts slash scholarships anyway, which is true. It's been, what, 30, 35 years maybe since that rule got changed? It used to be four-year deals, but then they became one-year deals. Yeah, but uh, you know you got to be careful on that because uh, the word can get out. Uh, so most of them, by and large, if you're doing what you're supposed to, they do get renewed. It's going to be great for non-PAC teams that want to pick up some good athletes that are disenfranchised. That's what Snazzy Coog has to say, and Snazzy Coog would know because they just cashed in on some PAC on a PAC-12 player, so. Basketball. Well, I guess uh, they tweeted out uh, they're getting a cornerback transfer from Oregon State. There you go. Now football. Yeah. and I don't think there's any way you can stop it. 
It may not be in the best move of the kid. But you can't stop it. Yeah, but you're not – of. you can counsel, but if the kid wants to go – and this transfer portal thing, that's a – you know, it was interesting that Kyle, who's kind of a – you know, let's face it, he's a tough guy. And when Jalen Dixon put his name in, you know, all in or in the way, mm-hmm. I was to a degree surprised that he took him back. And I know he went to the council and all that stuff, but uh, and that's great that you have that. But ultimately, it's one person's decision. Like when I was in the senior in high school, we had a kid who uh, wanted to go take a recruiting chip for basketball, and it was right down to the end. And the coach was, oh, I remember he was just so furious. And I'm thinking, this is my senior year. I suck. I'm done. And I want to make the playoffs. And so we took a vote on whether we can allow him to stay on the team or not. And I voted yes, even though I didn't know that uh, it was in the best interest of the team for the kid to miss a game to go on a recruiting trip. I took him, I voted yes, and we polled our, each other, uh, and all of us voted yes, and the coach kicked him off. <laughs> <laughs> Secret ballot, so you can all do whatever you want. And at the end, I can do whatever I want. I don't too. care what you guys say. I'm doing <laughs> this. Meanwhile, you guys are all talking in the back of the bus. I voted yes. I voted yes. Yeah, and my coach played baseball at the U of A, so you know he was a slimy guy with questionable morals. There it is. <laughs> Bleeping wildcats. But it has been going on forever, and you can't stop it. The best player on my high school basketball team, a bunch of us were just random, so mediocre, average high school athletes. But there was one kid, and he had it. I'll never forget. When we were in junior high, I'm in the eighth grade, he's in the seventh grade, and we're on one side of the field out of PE, and the other side, and the seventh grade class just erupts. And he'd like long jump, I don't know, 18 or 20 feet or something outrageous as a 13-year-old. I mean, he had it. And so my senior year, his junior year, he is a big-time baseball prospect. And he doesn't for our and he was really sour on the basketball team and there's a, there, at the time there was this big Christmas tournament and he played the first two games and then there's a two day break for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and he literally without telling anyone did not show up on December 26th for the game or December 27th for the game goes looking around where is he I don't know where he is <laughs> I got no idea and he's yelling at another kid where is he I don't know I haven't heard from him. And his dad got an apartment in another school's boundaries. Ironically, Grossmont, the school that the uh, Musgrove threw the no-hitter went to Grossmont. And he moved to Musgrove. He got the quote-unquote apartment and transferred to Grossmont and played when we came back from Christmas break. And we played them in the second round of league, and he was on their team. And he'd been on our team at the start of the season. This has been going on forever. It can't be stopped. Yeah, so be it. He ended up being a first-round draft pick in the Major League Baseball draft. Never went anywhere, but... First round. Pick. Is it first round bust? Yeah, I, I I used to check. You know, the this is all pre internet, and so I would check the uh, sporting news, the minor league stuff. I don't yeah, think yeah, he yeah. made it out of class A. I'm not positive. Uh, he and I were not close, <laughs> but uh, I don't think he made it out of class. Wow, a, a first round draft pick who didn't make it out of class A. Yeah, and it could have been a. an injury. It could have been. You know, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But I mean, I looked because I knew. I think I'd have to go back and check. I think the Astros drafted him. So. Cesar Cedeno? No. Yep. Enos Cabell? His last name was Swain, and I, that San Diego State receiver, but I think Brett Swain, I always wondered if it was related, if that was his kid or his nephew Oh, or I've been pondering that for years. Oh, stop it. <laughs> so is Joe coming or not? Because now we're getting off into the minutiae here. <laughs> you will let me know as soon as you get I can hear Joe coming on the air. He's listening. Don't blame that on me. You did it.
John says, I get why it's okay, but it's ruining college sports, along with the one and done. You know, for the fans who aren't, I mean, you and I have a lot of time. Like, it rained yesterday, and it snowed yesterday, and the wind blew 60 miles an hour. So you... Uh, had time to research all these Pac-12 teams. But, you know, most fans don't have that kind of time. They're not getting paid to do it like you and I are. Right. And so I wonder how long it takes for them to get to know these guys and their personalities, right? They aren't as accessible to write features or do Sunday night shows. If they're only here for one year, how are people going to know and bond with them? Because that, I mean, the winning is a big part of it. And if you win, people show up. But... There is this other part where you think you know them, and you do know something about them to some degree. You at least have watched them play for two, three, four years. And so I wonder how much that all gets wrecked. You know, it just becomes so transactional, so much just, yeah, transfer coming in from whatever school, you know, South Carolina last year, Baylor this year, who knows what school next year. And if you're great, great. If you're not, you weren't really a Ute anyway. Football doesn't matter. Because it's Basketball, I think it's really, really impacted. But football... Still as strong, if not stronger than ever. DJ PK, it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. The Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union, proudly serving their members and community for over 90 years. Cypress Credit Union, your future is our future. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is the Joe Ingles Show with the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Joe, you're getting a couple days off. You, you're actually getting three days without a game since you sat out that Oklahoma City game. And I'm curious with the condensed schedule and you're playing more games in less time, how much does that matter? How different do you feel? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, big I think I think um, like you said the the schedule obviously we started uh, pretty quickly kind of after the bubble than what we normally would and kind of packing in games here and then obviously with the first half of the schedule only coming out obviously knowing that at the, the start of this year we might have to reschedule games and, and whatnot due to COVID and, and whatever uh, we obviously got a, a heavy back end uh, I think Someone had said at some point we had like 21 in 21 games in like 35 days or something like that, which is um, probably doesn't sound like that to, to the average person listening, but it's a lot of games um, in that and then that, that amount of time. So um, yeah, I think it's just about obviously everyone being smart. Um, obviously, we still want to win games and put ourselves in a the best position um, that we can put ourselves in, but we also. Um, with the scheduling of that, don't want to go into the playoffs tired or fatigued or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the plan is for everyone or anyone else going forward, but, um, yeah, I've, I've used my days wisely. <laughs> so, Joe, I got to tell you, man, if anybody out there says anything that makes DJ angry, that makes me angry. <laughs> How much fun did you have with all that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's like I said in the uh, post game or whenever it was, like it's it's really like more entertaining to me than anything else. Like I, I mean, we've we've talked about uh, we've talked a lot about how how my kind of the joy I have while I'm playing. It's I'm, I'm happy when I'm out there. I, I enjoy it. Obviously, I get some people's perception probably thinks I'm not taking it serious or anything like that. But the people that know me, um, the people, our, our fans, all that. It's just how I, uh, I think I play my best when I'm enjoying it out there too. And then obviously the, the talking part of it, just kind of, again, I've told you guys, like I never go into a game thinking or preparing or anything. Um, but sometimes it just kind of happens. And um, I enjoy that too. Like it's, it's fun to have someone either talk to you or a player or a coach or a fan or whoever it is we've had. Donovan and I were talking about it after that game. It was like all the times that it's happened that it's actually like propelled our team to play a little bit better, especially myself and him. But um, happened in Detroit one time that was very memorable. It happened in Minnesota one time that was very memorable. It happened against Detroit um, with a fan across from the opposing bench. Um, there's just there's ones that you remember, but it's like I said, it's like. It doesn't. It honestly doesn't make me mad. I'm not frustrated. I'm not angry. I literally like it's entertainment to me. It's it's funny. Um, it's funny with the guys. It's like we we yeah. It's just a I don't know. It's just an entertaining, fun thing. It's a, it's a to me, it's a cool part of the game to be able to go out there and like not disrespectfully um, to anyone, but just to, to have fun and, and talk a bit of smack. It's it's fun. So, uh, because we have, well, I would watch close anyway, but because we have you on and because I know people tweet at me and, you know, want me to ask you about specific moments, I really pay attention to your interactions with players when they're, you know, shown on TV. And so a couple of them jump out at me. One, before the first game with the Wizards in Washington, you and Bradley Beal had a big old laugh. I mean, you were cracking up, he was cracking up, and you were literally at the jump ball circle getting ready to start the game. So I know there's a lot of fun in it, but i got to say, when I think you're telling someone to bleep off, it doesn't feel like there's that much fun in it. <laughs> and I was reading your lips, Joe. I'm pretty sure I know what you were telling them to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, Brad Beal's a... An absolute legend. He's a he's a really good dude. We've got the same agency, so I've I've known him a little bit over time, and um, really, really, really good guy. So, um, and obviously a hell of a player too. So going up against him is always fun and, and obviously challenging because he is extremely talented. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never swore during a game. Okay. All right. Your nose just screwed, Joe. Must be the accent. My lips must read differently. Must be the accent. <laughs> they go the other way because you're from Australia. <laughs> yeah, it was. You meant to read it backwards. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> That's your story, and you're sticking to it. And I'm is that to uh, it. is that particular to the American game, or does that go on overseas and in Australia and all the other places you've played ball too? No, yeah, that's everywhere. I mean, I've, I mean, maybe it's just me that brings it everywhere. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, I mean, ever I've played in, obviously played in Europe and spent a lot of it there. I've played in like national team against national teams, and it happens there. I've played in NBL. I remember I got, I think I got fined in the NBL. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like seventeen, eighteen at this point in the NBL. Um, 
I think I got fined or I might have got warned being like the first offence and I was the fact that I was so young, but I got, um, I flipped someone off in the crowd and when I was like 18 years old. Um, I still remember it was up in, up in a little, little town called Townsville up in Queensland, a little kind of country beach town. Um, actually a really nice place, beautiful weather. Um, they're no longer in the league, but yeah, they were, they were in the league when I played and, Someone was in like the courtside box and was probably a, a few beers in and had kept kept saying stuff to me. I was probably an easy target because I had this like long shaggy hair and I was about sixty pounds and <laughs> trying to play against these men. And I just was like, "Screw this! I've had enough!" And I just flipped him off. <laughs> and by the way, if you think Joe is uh, not telling the truth about the hair, you have to go to YouTube and watch some of those clips because I've seen him. And what you just said was a hundred percent true. Yeah, I wasn't uh, a big fan of haircuts, and then I (laughs) um, used to—I did used to surf a little bit, so I used to think I was like this really cool, like surfing. Um, It was bad. (laughs) So I came across a clip, uh, an Australian journalist who was recounting your early career, and I—I didn't know this, but. So there was a hometown or local team somehow. I don't know if I have this exactly right. And they came at you with a, apparently thinking you'd take the hometown discount as a teenager, happy to be a pro. And so you passed on them, and it was controversial at the time, and you went to another club. You've always had this in you, Joe. Yeah, I've always been a <laughs> <laughs> I'm friendly, but I can be a, a bit of a, an ass too. Um, but, yeah, that was that – was, I mean, it was the – like you said, it was my hometown team, I, the team I grew up watching, my favorite player, like the guy who I wanted to be growing up was on the team, um, who I'm, I'm good friends with now. Um, and I, I wanted to, like, like I, I think we've talked about it, but like growing up in Australia, the NBA was so far away. I didn't get, we didn't have cable TV, so I couldn't watch games or I grew up wanting to play for the Adelaide 36ers and I grew up wanting to play for Australia. They were the two things. Um, Brett Maher was the player. Brett played for Adelaide. He also played for, he went to a couple of Olympic games. So I I wanted to be Brett Maher. It was like, well, got recruited. I think at the time there was like eight or nine teams in the league. I got recruited by like seven of them. Like every team was trying to get me to sign with them. And um, the minute, like the minimum wage of the NBL back then was like, 30 grand or like whatever the number was exactly I don't know off the top of my head what it was but um, not not that much but I was obviously as a 17 year old happy to take it <laughs> um, and they offered me like 15 grand like way under like it wasn't even like the actual legal minimum that you could offer me um, spelt my name wrong on the contract the, <laughs> the GM or whoever it was at the time um, was like yeah we're really excited like to, we would love to have you a part of the team we really need a backup five man and I'm like five man like I've never played in the pain in my life <laughs> um, still to this day like um, just, there's just a bunch of things that happened and I, I the only kind of thing I really remember like obviously those little details but I remember walking out of that meeting and I like my agent was with me at the time and my my dad was with me too and I was like like I can't go there there's no way I'm going there they don't even like they don't know what position I am. They don't know. Um, so it was disappointing because I did want to play for them. And um, I mean, I if I like if it, if it turned back time, maybe I would have or could have or should have tried harder to go back there. But it all worked out. I went to Melbourne, had a, a really good three years there. We won a championship, and 
Um, I mean, I'm here today, so it obviously worked out. Do your family and friends, do they get to see you play at all now with the time difference and oh, all the man, access? Oh, man, it's tough. Um, obviously, with COVID, too, makes it even, even harder, so they haven't been over. They used to... I've got a sister um, who's got a couple kids, and then obviously my parents, um, Renee's parents, and she's got a a brother and sister too, brother with a, a couple kids as well. So they they all kind of used to come over every year or every second year and watch. Um, even in Europe, they'd come over as much as they could. Um, obviously, being a lot further away from Australia, but um, the last couple of years, obviously not with with COVID and then travel and all that. But prior to that, they used to yeah they used to come uh, a fair bit. We we paid for them, both our families all to come over one Christmas a few years ago just because we, we wanted to make it be as homely as possible. We just had the, the twins and wanted everyone to have um, Christmas with the twins, so we got everyone over for, for a Christmas. But, um, yeah, I mean, as soon as the restrictions, um, travel restrictions and obviously COVID and all that slows down and a bit safer to travel, we'll, uh, we'll, I'm sure they'll, they'll all be on the first flight over again. So, Joe, as you get ready for the uh, the final stretch here, do you check the standings? Are you checking them every day to see what's going on in the playoff race, or you just wait for someone to tell you on a on a bus or a plane or something? I'm definitely not checking them every day. Um, I got way too much going on to be looking at my NBA app every day. Um, but obviously, we like it's common sense, and everyone knows we're in a good position that we are. We are. We are top. I don't know how. I couldn't tell you how close um, Phoenix is. I know that game there. They were obviously super pumped because. And I think, I think I saw on Twitter after like Devin Booker saying he's not worried about his own individual stuff. He wants to be first in the West. So um, obviously they're they're somewhat close. But apart from that, it's just. I mean, we've like it would be great to be first, and I. I mean, I hope we are, and I hope we stay there. But um, I think for us, it's just about continually getting better each game. Um, we want to be, like I said, like Royce resting last game. Um, I've been a little bit beat up just in, in general, nothing obviously crazy, but just a bit generally uh, sore or whatever. So getting our guys healthy is a, is a big thing too. I think um, if you go into the playoffs, extremely fatigued or unhealthy with, with injuries or whatnot, or, or the COVID stuff, like, Obviously, it just it throws a, a spanner in the works with with your team. So you want to be um, obviously we want to finish as high as possible, but we also want to be as healthy and, and fresh as possible. So um, part of that's on the players to, to do the right thing off the court, on the court, away from the stadium, um, getting your rest on the road, like whatever it is um, at home and on the road. But um, obviously, there's some things we can do within our, our team and, and the medical staff to, to make sure we're as healthy and, and fresh as possible. Donovan Mitchell's been playing real well as far as scoring goes. Have you noticed an improvement in his game? Oh, I mean, I feel like we talk about this like a few times a year, and it's like this constant uh, um, feeling of like he, he just kind of keeps getting better. Like it's I remember talking about it in his rookie year when it was like, oh, like you're kind of given the keys to the team now and, and he embraced it and did really well. And then it was like, all right, well, like you've got to make better reads out of when you get in the paint. Like you're not you're not seeing like eyes out and guys that are open. You're just kind of aggressive to, to score, which obviously we wanted to do. But 
and he was like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And he's like, within a few days, he's making these like unreal passes. And now his passing's unreal. And I think this offseason, a big thing for him personally was just defensively. Like, I want to be locked in on both ends. And, and now he's trying to guard the, the best player when he's out there. He wants to do both. Like, it's just a continuous uh, improvement on every level from, from his perspective. And I mean, it's, I mean, you guys, I mean, obviously not this year, but you guys have been around our team and all that. Like, you guys know him and that. Like, it's just, it's how he is. He just wants to keep getting better and better. So, um, yeah, it's pretty special. But um, I know from his point of view, there's a lot more he would want to do and get better and continue to get better. And um, obviously, I have no doubt he'll do that. Well, what I've learned from the Joe Ingles show today is that Joe has never, ever sworn on the court, and he only swore one time during this interview... Yak only had to go to the dump button once, so. I didn't swear on this interview. Yuck. You certainly yes, you did, did, Joe. You'd, you said the, nether, the nether regions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> tell, tell Jake to sort it out. He did. He did. Uh, He's here for you. He's on Team Joe. Joe Ingles Raw, man. <laughs> I should have my, I should have a uh, a raw podcast or whatever that I can. Oh, I do, but I should just say what I want. Let her rip, kinda, Joe. You kind of do anyway, Joe. <laughs> That's true. This is true. <laughs> Entertaining as always, Joe. We appreciate it as always. Uh, good luck this week, and we will talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay, Joe Ingles checking in here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. We'll be right back with everything you missed in this show. We'll get you up to speed. Stay with us. Here is Reggie Jackson, walking it from right to left. He's going to cross the midcourt line with 10 seconds left. Guarded by the rookie, Hayes. Jackson with 6 seconds left. Jackson at the top of the key with 4 seconds left. Crossover. Step into the jumper. He buries it! Dodgers comes and gets it. Got a bounce and will fling it on up. And he hit it! He hit it to put the game in overtime! He was crouching when he let it go! Maybe a 3. Was he behind the line? I don't know if he was behind the line. I'm not sure of that. They're going to check. The Maverick bench exploding. Tim Hardaway's putting up three fingers to see if it's a three-pointer. Oh, he did. He did go behind the line. He just won the game. Luka just won the game with an incredible shot as he split the double team of Brooks and Valanchunas and leaning in to score. Dallas Mavericks beat the Memphis Grizzlies 114-113. Luka Doncic running three-point buzzer beater after Grayson Allen missed two free throws. Also Reggie Jackson with the winning points as the Clippers edged the Pistons 100-98. That's the shorthanded Clippers, PK. Yeah, they played without their big two. That was Detroit. And Reggie Jackson came up big, obviously. He's a nice player. And so he got the job done. They won that game. Uh, as they rested their stars. Uh, I think Kawhi Leonard's been out a couple of games there. And Doncic, that might have been the best off-balance balance shot I've ever seen. <laughs> we got into this earlier in the show. I was like, he was so off-balance. His weight was, his body weight, his energy, everything was way forward. Way crouching, as it was described there in the call, was a good way to put it. Now, as far as like the side-to-side balance, that was great. And as far as being under control, even though you're way off balance, I'll give you that. I just can't describe him as on balance. It didn't look awkward, way awkward, and he didn't fall. It looked as under control as something that awkward can be. Right, so that that indicates a level of balance. A level of, he he's clearly worked the abs. He got that thing up, and he put it in 
from the three-point line and won the game. Now, he released it. I mean, he's a big dude, so obviously his feet were behind the line, but his body was in front of it, but that's legit, so that works. Ed Ed Orgeron doing the color commentary there for uh, Dallas. (laughs) Ed Orgeron. The raspy voice. And and Donch has got some new art on his uh, wrist there and his... uh, Along his forearm, I know you don't notice those types of things. You don't I, see color. I didn't see uh, him. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Maybe you don't notice that. But uh, he got some new art. What did he there. get? New art. Well, okay. He already <laughs> had a tattoo on that arm. He seems like he's filling it out, though. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's hence new art. New art, yeah, you're right. Okay. It's new, yes. Yeah, Somebody's so. name, a palm tree. I mean, you know. I don't know. Okay, fine. The, uh, was, the Nuggets. I watched the game, but I didn't, I didn't yeah. notice. I noticed the new art. The Nuggets beat the Heat. I just don't know that we're going to see that much change in the standings going forward, PK. You got anybody? I think the Lakers can catch the Nuggets, but that doesn't change much because they're 4-5. and five. It would just change home court advantage. You got anything else? Do the Clippers catch the Suns? I don't think the uh, Suns catch the Jazz. I actually have to look Jazz. at the standings. I don't, I don't look at the standings as much mm. as you do. I go with the Joe Ingles thing. I'm focused on the Jazz. I'm never really not focused on anybody else. And so whatever those standings are – what difference does it make to the Jazz? I mean, the standings are what they are. So I don't, I don't look at them like you do. So I'm not sure. I know Phoenix is a game and a half behind. Other than that, I yep. don't know who's behind, how many games the Clippers are behind. Clippers are telling me the Clippers are in third. Yeah, it's uh, the Jazz are a game and a half up on the Suns and three up on the Clippers. And then it's six to the Nuggets and seven to the Lakers. Uh, to me, it's all about winning the conference. And if the Jazz win the conference, then you finish number one, and obviously, and you're expected to do well in the postseason. I don't fear these other teams uh, and worry about these other things because I believe in the Jazz. If they play the way they're capable of, they can beat anybody. If they don't, they won't. So what's the sense of worrying about what other other teams are doing? I worry about what they're doing. Even the healthy Lakers? I believe the Jazz play as well as they're capable of. They can beat anybody. Jazz and the Lakers coming up Saturday afternoon. We might want to discuss this tomorrow. (laughs) We can do that tomorrow. The Jazz and the Lakers coming up uh, Saturday afternoon and then again Monday night. Two games in L.A. The Lakers are going to be shorthanded. Their guys are about to come back, but they're not going to come back in time for Saturday and Monday. Well, we've been told they're about to come back. We'll see how it actually Well, and we can get to this. They still have to play the Pacers first, but the guys who they have clearly are going to be jacked up to play the Jazz. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, so and I think that they're, they're any, looking to prove something. Anytime a star is out, there's more shots for the role players. Carl Malone didn't miss many games, but I remember him missing one in the locker room after they won. Everyone was amped up. And I think I can't remember, I think it was Booner I bumped into walking out of the locker room and he was going in. I'm like, it is loud and happy in there. And he goes, Yeah, they all got a lot more shots. And they, they, don't, they can't do it for 50 games, but they can do it for one, but they just don't get one chance very often. And the Lakers right now, without these two guys, all these guys have expanded roles, and um, who doesn't want who doesn't want to shoot more? You know. Well, I think it's a it's more than that. I think it's money. Who doesn't want more money? There's and that too. So Absolutely. Show your ability. Yep. You're you're constantly trying to play to prove yourself yep. and where you belong. Where do you fit in? And whether it's as Sloan would say, you know, there's uh, all these other teams that are looking at you, and you never know who's gonna want to get you down the line and you've got to show your ability too. So you have to, cause your contract is going to come up at some point. And I don't know that any of these guys, literally any of them are guaranteed their spot in the league 
where they can say, you know, I am just here and I'm here to stay. Now, there's some guys that are going to be in the league for a good while, you know, Drummond to an extent, yeah. Kuzma, Schroeder. Kuzma's going to play 10 years. But, but, but even those, so, your spot within the league is still yeah, up for grabs. Yeah, you yeah. Want, you, when you become uh, a free agent, you want your team to want you and you want somebody else to want and, you, if not multiple. You want to be in control. So this is an opportunity. You're playing the team with the best record in the league, and you could send a message because you very well could and probably will meet up with them in the postseason. So we beat you with our guys. Well, now we got these two guys here. You don't stand a chance. And I think there's also just the whole, they've all heard, whether they've heard it directly or indirectly, they've all heard that they're going to suck without LeBron and AD. And so you want to prove, hey, we don't suck. We can play two. And they've won six of the last ten. That's not great, but it's also not the falling off the uh you know, falling off the edge like a lot of people predicted. Like, oh, they're going to go two and eight. They're going to. Uh, they've been. They've been decent. They've been a little better than mediocre. Six and four, not bad. Yeah, and they're gearing up for these two games. At least get a split, if not a sweep. So the Jazz got to be ready. And then pretty much they're going to be facing that every way, every every way out, every game out, I should say, because of the fact that you have the best record in the league yep. and you've had it now for two months. How long have they had it? Yeah, at least a couple months. I mean, we're in April now. They certainly had it in February. They they got it sometime in late January, or February, no, because the the win streak started in January. The first eleven gamer, and it they were four and four, so it took them a while to get to the top spot. So, yeah, you're probably looking at two two and a half months somewhere in there. Uh, the other thing we've talked a lot about this morning: the NCA is uh, finally going to do it and make it official that players can transfer one time on a free transfer, not sit out a year. The whole sitting out a year thing. For decades have been the rule. The waivers have gotten plentiful in the last five to ten years, and the grad transfer has become pretty consistent. But now the door isn't just open partway. Now it's open all the way. So can it make you more competitive in basketball because guys who aren't playing or stuck behind one-and-dones go somewhere and play? There's plenty of examples of that. And early this morning I talked about how my gauchos made it at the NCAA tournament because they got two transfers. They brought in a kid from DePaul, and I forget the other school's power five. Obviously, Barcelo going from Arizona to BYU is a good example. But you brought up football, and that could, be, that could help the top five to ten teams pull away more. And the whole playoff race, really, how many teams is that for? It's an exclusive club, and I think that's the issue there. For me, it's uh, the, the playoff because it is just a few who pay the most and all that stuff. Uh, it's really watered it down. It doesn't mean I don't watch it because I'm addicted and I feel like I have to for work anyway, so I got those two. I'd probably watch it if I was retired or a banker or a lawyer or for a cop. One thing's for certain, it ain't never going to stop. And so that rhyme, that's a song line there. But uh I would do it either way, but I feel like my football, it's all, for me personally, it's all about the Pac-12 because I don't believe they're playing on the same level. They're almost almost like uh, in between a group of five and the P5, and to me, if you win the Pac-12, I don't don't care anymore if you don't get in the playoff because I think it's an uneven playing field, so that's just the way it is. But for, for basketball, to me, it's basically turned it into junior college. Now, I, don't, I haven't covered junior college basketball here in Utah, but I covered it in California. We had two uh, junior colleges, El Camino and Harbor College, were in our circulation area, and we had to cover them, and for a while I was doing that. And year to year with junior college, because you can come and go, there's literally no rules, you can come and go like crazy, and rosters would dramatically change. 
uh, you'd have five freshmen, and then all five would be someplace else the next year, and it could be the next junior college over, and it didn't matter. You could do whatever. That's what's basically happening now in college basketball at the, at the D1 level. It's becoming guys coming and going. You can't keep up with it. It's coming at you so fast and furious. It literally reminds me of when I covered junior college California ball, and I covered it in Arizona too uh, back in my early days of newspaper writing. Well, with the transfer portal, with the guys uh, who are who only had a year at BYU, they're going to have a bunch of new guys on their roster for sure. And with Utah and Utah State seeing a lot of transfers, uh, <laughs> this is, who knows what these rosters are going to look like next year? Who's coming? Who's going? And then and then figuring out where they fit in their leagues because the same stuff's happening at all the other schools. Uh, I think your JC analogy fits. You know, every year will be its own thing and looking for continuity and a program taking two or three years to get it going. Or, you know, you can get it going or lose it overnight now. Yes. So, all right, when we come back, your feedback, everything you've got to say about today's show next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. All right, it's time for your feedback. I think I'm going to hijack this temporarily, PK. I just saw this on Twitter. Friends fans can now stay in a themed Airbnb complete with foosball table. Can you imagine getting an Airbnb? It's a set of your favorite TV or uh, movie, and you got to stay there as part of your vacation, you know, long weekend, whatever. What TV movie set would you want to stay in, PK? You're going to, uh, you're going to Southern California, and there's a bunch of these available. And just to change it up, you like to do a beach trip down there every summer, go back to the old neighborhood. And if there were a bunch of them there, which one would you, which one would you want? So I'm already at the beach because I originally thought of something out of uh, Hawaii Five-0 or Magnum uh-huh. PI, or which I don't even know what they would be. Oh, uh, I, that's not where I thought you'd go, but go ahead. Uh, so, uh, but uh, man, I, I don't. I, I thought you were sure. going to say. I thought you'd say the Godfather. I can totally see you saying, "Hey, when we get back from the uh, we get back from the beach today, I'm going to go into the office and uh, meet with a few business associates." There'd be some dark paneling, great lighting, yeah, a window with the all... slats you can look out into the yard. I'm, I'm too chicken. Uh, that, that would make me queasy, man. Okay, never mind. My shoulder. Not the godfather. <laughs> Something back in the time machine. You know, maybe uh, Lucy and, and what's-his-face's oh. apartment. Yeah. And then I'd have a guy Lucy come and up Ricky? with this. With his, yeah, Ricky, I can't think of his name. And have a guy come up who's uh, the uh, landlord with pants up to his man boobs and Fred. <laughs> <laughs> he did wear those pants a little high. <laughs> oh, when I was thinking about this in the break, I was thinking it was like there'd be people going cheap, like, I don't want to build the whole thing out. I'll just put up a tent and call it MASH. <laughs> And then it'd be somebody with the Brady Bunch is like, yeah, we'll give him a bathroom and it won't have a toilet in. And welcome to the set of the Brady Bunch. You can't have a no, toilet in No, I've done the, uh, uh, a few years back, they had Pac-12 Media Day at Universal. Uh-huh. And they gave you tickets to do the tour, right? Mm-hmm. So my daughter and a friend came with us. And so they went early. I did the thing. And that was back when it was a two-day deal. So it would end around 1 o'clock. This past couple of years has been a one day, so it went all the way to five or six o'clock. Uh, but I did the thing and uh, the tour, and at that time was the Desperate Housewives thing was raging. 
and so they took you by was the, like Wisteria the, Lane. Wisteria Lane, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and that was a fake little neighborhood that they had set up, but that looked kind of cool. Yeah, we did the uh, tour at Universal, and they took us through uh, the court, the uh, kind of town square thing, and they yeah. told us all the movies that had been in, and some of them were recent, and some of them were older. Some of them I hadn't even when they said the movie, I didn't even know what it was. They were old, but the thing I saw in the town square was the Back to the Future clock was unmistakable. They had that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, was unmistakable. There. Yeah, and that's where they, we we did. Uh, I think we set up in a tent, and right across from us was a fake courthouse. Mm, there you go. Okay, so uh, the feedback, what we're supposed to be doing in this segment. Uh, I put that other thing out on Twitter. You can uh, jump on it with your favorite show and whatever you'd want to see and uh, wherever you'd want to stay. Uh, we got a lot of uh, feedback to LaMarcus Aldridge retiring this morning, irregular heartbeat. Happened to him in a game, happened to him later that night after the game, went to the doctor the next morning, he was really scared. He's done. He's shutting it down, 15-year career. He retired and put it out on his Twitter account this morning. Scorp Daddio tweets at us, that's too bad. Not a way anyone wants to end their career in the NBA or otherwise. Good luck to him. Dealing with cardiac issues can be a tough road to hoe. Yeah, I can recall the Hank Gathers thing, and the next morning, there I am at a press conference uh, at the gymnasium with about 5,000 sobbing people. I was just sitting there working an agate shift, and we had morning papers that we put out and afternoon papers, and the boss says, come with me, man. And we drove up to LMU, which wasn't a far drive. It was just a few, just up the road a bit. And uh, obviously that had happened. That was a Sunday. Uh, Conference tournament. The night, yep. the night night before. And I think, uh, they were, I think it was against Portland. And the guy who was closest to him on the floor, if I remember correctly, is Eric Spolstra. When uh, he was, he had stopped taking his medication because it made him, made him feel sluggish. He had gotten yeah. the medication because he had passed out at a game in December at the free throw line during the game. It was against UC Santa Barbara, and I was calling the game, and I was looking down at my scorebook marking a foul or free throws or whatever, and I didn't see it. I heard it, and that whole place got so quiet, and everybody was afraid it had happened right then. I mean, it looked awful, and the game was stopped a long time while they got him off the floor. Um, and fortunately, we knew he was alive when he came off the floor. I can't imagine having been there for that Portland game. I mean, it was no, bad No, I remember it was, uh, it was a Sunday, and, and Oberman, back when he did sports and yeah. not the Looney Tunes stuff that he does now, they broke in. Mm-hmm. I was watching whatever I was watching on a Sunday. And so, yeah, you know, the, uh, that's a long time ago, but it yeah. still resonates. It still so, resonates if you were at the, uh, one of those things, yeah. Especially at this point, Aldridge has proven all he can prove. He's made a ton of money, so go take care of yourself there. Curtis is all about the uh, transfer. Most of our listeners are. It's overwhelmingly being received positively here. He says it's about time a young man can switch schools without a penalty. This may or may not be his future income. They deserve a chance at options. If it's not working out, or they have a better opportunity? There are also people pointing out that what a lot of these players are going to learn is the grass isn't always greener. You know, maybe the coach who was critical of you at the previous school you know, was right, and you're going to hear from the coach at the next school too. And the playing time may not change all that much. Uh, that, that's very well possible, but that's the kid's decision. That's yep. not your decision. decision. Or the school's decision, And that's decision, a risk right? you'll take, and yeah. and he'll consult with his family and blah, 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 and so be it. Well, you might be able to change from, uh, you know, a school to uh, – for the kids who are really good and were overlooked, it might give them a chance to go to a higher level. That's what Jenkins has done, moving from South Dakota to UNLV to to Utah. 
You got and speaking of transfer news, Yuck, you got fresh transfer portal news. <laughs> yeah, Raleigh Wooster, the standout Utah State yeah, guard, yeah, has announced yeah. he's going to Utah. Following Craig oh, he's Smith. following uh, Craig Smith. Yep. Now that's something that the Utah State people that they, they just don't like that. Oh, hundred percent. Oh yeah, I would go beyond. They don't like it. They hate well, it. I'm not Joe Ingles here. Right. Thank you. I can't swear on the air and get away with it. <laughs> You can swear I have a dump button, but you may get fired. It would be better uh, yeah, if we I'm not didn't take, do that. I'm, I'm not Joe Ingles. I'm not going to take my chances. <laughs> yeah, right. Good call, PK. Good career But, decision. yeah, that, that, that's a bitter, bitter taste. Yep. I mean, they did it. Who was the other kid? Colette did it a few years back. Oh, that was a yeah, big deal David at the Colette, time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that sucks if it's your guy and Wooster played. He was in the one he started, right? He got big minutes for He played a lot of minutes. Guys. He played a lot of yeah. minutes for him. Yeah. You're starting point guard. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. I'm sure Scotty will have more to say about that. Stay with us.